Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to talk about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing our countdown of our top 10 best films of 2023. got some news the oscar nominations have been released this week ryan i'm assuming you did the tally to see how ahead you are considering that oppenheimer leads the pack with 13 nominations followed by poor things with 11 so you are clearly leading in the oscar draft and i'm really pissed off Are, are you are you happy with how it went the nominations are you happy with how you're doing yeah for sure of course we'll do our full breakdown analysis when we do our prediction show a little closer to the oscars but i believe for my initial just tallying up uh the estimation i think it came out to 35 for me however it's a close game dylan did you tally up yours because you were no, also right on the heels i think you have 32 okay i feel Something a little like better. that so again that was the initial thing i did that you know once it came out so I don't really remember if that is the exact final tally. Of course, we will confirm that later on. But it is a close race as far as nominations go. But let's just talk about some of the the big reactions that have been happening to the Oscars and any snubs or surprises that we want to call out. Barbie, of course, has been the center of that discussion since Margot Robbie was not nominated for Best Actress and Greta Gerwig was not nominated for Best Director. So everyone was upset and being like, how could this happen? Ryan Gosling got nominated. All these other folks got nominated, but not the two most important people that were, you know, helming the film. Here's what I got to say about that. You know, now that everyone's had their piece, let's let's have two men come in here and comment on the situation. It's about Um, goddamn time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So... They did get nominated. Margot Robbie got nominated as a producer because Barbie was nominated for Best Picture. And she's been very vocal about how hard she was pushing to get the film made and all the pitches to the studio, Warner Brothers, in order to get it uh, off the ground. So I feel like it's such a, a disservice to her as a producer and her business acumen to be like, wow, she got snubbed. She didn't get anything just because she was nominated for Best Actress for this role that I mean, it was a crowded field, honestly. I like I'm not been out of shape that she wasn't recognized uh, for her performance for this one. Also, because if we want to talk about snubs, last year she truly got snubbed by not getting nominated for Babylon, which was a phenomenal performance. And so I'm definitely less like, oh no, how could this happen to her? I mean, she's dealt with these absurd snubs before. And again, she's been nominated. She'll be fine. Same with Greta Gerwig. She was nominated for Best Screenplay alongside Noah Baumbach. And so she is getting recognized in some capacity. Same thing with like Best Picture. It also got eight nominations overall. Like it did really, really well for itself. I think it also is a little disrespectful to the like writing category and whatnot to be like, wow, she was helming it and she didn't get the 
nomination she did though for writing like she was clearly integral to this film coming out the way that it did uh and that started in the writing phase and she was recognized for that which is amazing like go back to the beginning of this year if you would ask anyone oh do you think the barbie film is going to get any oscar loves let alone get nominated for best screenplay best picture all these other things people would be like no there's no way that's happening but it did like it's a great achievement uh so i think that's what should be focused on and not all this hoopla over them missing these categories which again it was the biggest film of the year like it it was a sensation it'll live on in film history they did really well and they both got nominated they'll both be at the oscar ceremony um as they should be and it'll be great so that's what i have to say what do you have to say about that i think the idea that people getting it up in arms about them being snubbed in terms of like they should have been awarded for their their achievements for what this movie did and when what it, it like did for people i just i think there is more to filmmaking than what a film can do outside of the theater as opposed to what it is doing within the theater for the audience as they're watching it i think the point of the oscars or at least what it's supposed to be about is judging a film based on its artistic merits to an audience within the theater, as opposed to judging a film and its impact outside of the theater world. And if the Academy has decided that there were five other nominees that deserved more recognition than Greta Gerwig or Margot Robbie in their respective categories, then that is just what it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it's artists judging other artists work. It doesn't really matter. Everybody, you know, we're viewing things in terms of who's best, who deserves to be nominated, things like that. It, it is just art is being made for art's sake. And everything on top of that is just extra fluff for fun. The Oscars are supposed to be for fun. Golden Globe supposed to be for fun. You know, I mean, of course, there's a lot of, a lot of business at stake for these awards since, you know, the studios want them to win awards to get publicity, to sell, you know, more, to sell more tickets to theaters, to, to build up star power, things like that. But, at the end of the day, for these people who are already super successful, like Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, who are going to continue to make movies, who have already hit star power, these award ceremonies are more for their enjoyment and supposed to be for celebrating each other. It's not supposed to be for comparing and tearing down nominees because they weren't Greta Gerwig or they weren't Margot Robbie. Everybody that was nominated seems to be deserving of a nomination. I don't think in any way they were snubbed in the sense that they deserve to be nominated more than anyone else. I think it's just a matter of, of taste. It's a matter of subjectivity and to be this upset about it just seems bewildering to me. Yeah, it was definitely, I feel like overblown. Um, and yeah. so that was wild fun to see, but at least it's getting some attention on the Oscars race. Hopefully, you know, more people because I mean, Oppenheimer and Barbie were such huge sensations and they're obviously the favorites to win a lot of these awards. Hopefully Mm -hmm. it'll become a much more viewed Oscars ceremony and break the trend that's been happening over the past decade, pretty much of it decreasing in viewership. But yeah, I I agree with you there of, I mean, no one is instantly entitled to getting recognized for an award, no matter how like impactful or sensational the film was in its reach in pop culture and all of that. So 
again, I think like they know, I think in their heart of hearts, they know how big this film was, how much it means to people. Um, and it's cherries on top getting these Oscar nominations, which they did get just not for those particular categories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we will see how that all develops, but were there any surprises? That's yeah. Now that we, here? now that we've talked about judging people for being against subjectivity, let's be, let's talk about our subjectivity and what we thought was crazy and surprising. <laughs> I think it's crazy that Nyad got two acting perform- or nominations for Annette Benning and Jodie Foster. I think that's wild. It did uh, sort of come out of nowhere. I did not see Nyad, but I knew it was somewhere in the contention earlier on in the award season. But I thought it yeah. had dropped out of it by then. Right. Uh, but somehow, I mean, they both came through. And yeah, it, not just one of them sneaked in, but I mean, both of them coming in. Yeah. So that was a big shakeup to the Best Actress lineup. Mm-hmm. And then... The Best Supporting Actress, which had a few shakeups. Yeah. With, uh, talking about Barbie, America Ferreira. Getting that in. blows my mind, too. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. We were talking about that. I was like, that could be a thing that happens if they really want to shower Barbie with all this love. I was assuming that scenario would be like, oh, yeah, it gets director, it gets actress, it gets all these things. Uh, but no, they miss, and America Ferreira gets in. That is pretty, pretty shocking. Um but hey, again, like you said, it's all such activity. She was running her campaign. People were watching the film. They they fell in love with it. So it is getting recognized. Yeah. Um, Sterling so, K. Yeah. Brown was a bit of a surprise for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. That too. His first nomination, I believe, for an Oscar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's exciting for him. And then same thing. I mean, Jeffrey Wright, we knew was sort of, of going to get into Best Actor. But Coleman Domingo. Also, that was also over Leonardo Leo. DiCaprio. Yeah, that was Steel the other Leo's thing. spot. That was a where, big surprise because that was the thing people were bringing up with, you know, Barbie of like she's the main character. How are you going to nominate Ken and not nominate Barbie? And it's like number one, those are different things. A lead actor, completely different category, and a best supporting actor, the very different things. But then I was like, with Leo, I am shocked that he wasn't able to get nominated because again, I mean, he is the main character of that movie. Yeah, um, it follows him the most by far. And yet the ones that got nominated were De Niro for Best Supporting and then in lead, you know, Lily Gladstone, uh, but no Leo at all, which is very shocking. And so, like, there's already that precedent in another film this year where the main character, the one who's focused on the most, isn't nominated. But yet the characters around that one are getting a lot of recognition. So... Yeah, I mean, it's just the way it goes. Leo was definitely not campaigning hard for himself this season. So it seems like that was just what it was. He wasn't, you know, putting it out there and people wanted to recognize other things. But I'm shocked because I thought that was a worthy performance to get nominated. I mean, he was kind of just making like a bulldog face the whole time. He did do that. That's the thing, though. It's like, you know, he got some wrinkles from doing that every like 12 hours for a whole month and a half or so. Um, yeah, and no Oscar nomination for it. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, he's going to have to go and fight a bear again in order to get that. <laughs> yeah, I think he's he's done. I mean, yeah, he got his Oscar, so he's done chasing it. He'll just lay back and do whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, pretty, pretty shocking. All right. Moving on from the Oscars. Again, we'll have a much more in-depth discussion and all our predictions later down the line in, I think, like March. That's the other issue. This thing needs to move up. I think because of the pandemic, it had gotten pushed back. It used to be like early February. Yeah. So hopefully they can, in the next year, 
put it back to that date so that it doesn't take forever and then we get all these like other awards that happen and then so it's sort of a given who's going to end up winning although again they do always throw a curveball as we saw here with some of these nominations which i do like it makes it more interesting yeah right it's a little fun indeed but other news major shakeup to the cable and streaming industry netflix has struck a deal with wwe so that raw monday night raw is leaving cable and going to Netflix starting in 2025, the longest-running cable show on television. Three decades, and it is now going to Netflix exclusively. That is crazy. Do you like it or no, Ryan? I... It must be easier for you to access it now. Well, not necessarily. I mean, they've had a deal for the past few years with uh, Universal, right? Comcast Universal. So it's been on Peacock, like all their stuff. So you can get it there. The streaming access has been fine. What it does mean, though, is, I mean, it doesn't really affect me for cable anymore since that's gone. But uh, it is a showcase of how live TV and sports especially is becoming a much bigger part of the streaming services. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with, I mean, just the NFL playoffs this year as well. They had the Dolphins-Chiefs game was on Peacock instead of on TV. So they're trying to drive people over to that streaming service, all the different services now they have like a particular sport that is on their service like i think uh i think hbo max is the one that has like mls the soccer stuff so we're seeing that becoming a much bigger part of streaming services rather than traditional television and i feel like sports is like the main thing that's propping up uh television and cable at this point so it's just another signal of how everything's moving towards streaming and being much more fractured so yeah you're only going to be able to access raw which is also stupid because this doesn't mention smackdown so one show you're gonna have to go to netflix for the other show you're gonna have to go to usa network i believe it's on there um that channel so it, it doesn't make me sad that like again the longest running cable show and it's now gone going to netflix is an interesting choice i wonder what happened between like Comcast, Universal, and uh, WWE to make that happen. I guess it's just money talks. Netflix was able to offer way, way more. I think it's a smart decision for them, but yeah. it is, I don't know. It's just, it's sad. It's a another sign of the times changing. Yeah. And in other news, there is a new Jurassic World movie on the way. This is no surprise. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar franchise. Mm-hmm. Of course, it was going to happen. I'm sad that they're, I'm hoping that they change the title. I hope they don't continue with Jurassic World because obviously they've already done that trilogy. They need to move on. David Kep is returning to Pennant. He is the one who wrote the original Jurassic Park adapted it from Michael Crichton's novel. It's possible that this might just be Jurassic World 4 or they might do a new trilogy. We don't really know, but. They wanted it to go in a new direction. Yeah, that's what I figured they would want to do. Yeah, but nonetheless. Our Jurassic Universe idea seems to be put on hold. No, it's so sad. That doesn't it mean it can't happen, Ryan. That doesn't mean we can't have dinosaurs. That is in space. true. It just you means know, we don't we don't have dinosaurs in space yet. Exactly. It's far in the future, our idea, so we can always come back to it. Um, but yeah, I think that is funny that uh, our Jurassic universe might not come through, or it might actually, and that'd be that would be crazy if they did 
Jurassic or dinosaurs, the dinosaurs in, space. in space. We'd have to sue them. Like, but I know that's what I was thinking. Is like if, <laughs> if it's close enough, we have proof that we came up with this idea on that air. Is it is on the podcast. Year, so it is yeah. up. So they better make sure they switch it up if they throw those dinos in space. Um, yeah. I think it's way too soon to be doing this. They think so? just don't it's pretty yeah. They need to do what they did last time between the Jurassic Park and World movies and just put at least seven years in between them. Like you just yeah. have to like we're in a just time where in between sequels, like again, Aquaman was five years in between sequels, Doctor Strange was six years, stuff like that. And those are direct sequels. This is you trying to do like a whole new trilogy, like taking yeah. the franchise into a new direction. You need at least five years yeah. minimum. Take some like, time off, do a different franchise. To a decade. You know? Exactly. Um because otherwise people are just they're not gonna get that excitement or that's not yeah. nostalgia is not gonna build in. It's just gonna be like, oh, yet another sequel to the saying we saw not too long ago that wasn't very good so i feel the same way about transformers i feel like transformers always drops a movie too quick like they don't give it enough time and i feel the same way about the the godzilla kong movies they've just been pumping out sequels and i'm like if you give it some time people will want to see more of those godzilla kong movies and they don't care if it's bad it's just like it's been so long since they've seen it they'll go to the theaters to watch it again to watch a new one but they keep pumping out sequels every like two or three years i'm like dude pump the brakes give it some time Right. I mean, well, they're trying to do a, a direct sequel thing. I know, so, but so it makes sense that they're trying to have that smaller gap in between. But if you're trying to reinvent a franchise, I think you'd need much more time in between entries. Agreed. Agreed. All right, let's go to the box office breakdown for January 19th to the 21st. A whole lot of uh, familiar faces popping up here. Mean Girls, yet again, number one with 11.6 million, bringing its domestic total to 50 million. Followed by Jason Statham's The Beekeeper with 8.6 million. And we got Wonka with 6.7 million. Migration with 5.4 million. Anyone but you, 5.2 million, meaning it has crossed 100 million worldwide. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, 3.6 million. The new kid on the block, ISS, with only 3 million. Bombed to see that. Nope. Night Swim with 2.7 million. George Clooney's The Boys in the Boat, 2.5 million. And Poor Things mopping it up in the specialty market with 2.1 million. Now for predictions for this upcoming weekend, January 26th to 28th. Dude, there's nothing. It's just <laughs> nothing's coming out. Like, what is going on? January. We might see some uh, We might see some pickup with the, the Best Picture nominees since they're back in theaters now. Honestly, yeah, that might be the case. Hopefully it is. But there's just a bunch of like very Oppenheimer small... and Barbie might get a kick. Oppenheimer might be able to cross a billion if enough people go and see it. That is crazy. I also saw it's releasing in Japan in March of this year. So uh oh, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But there is a chance that it could cross a billion. Tenet, did you see that? They're doing a re-release. Yeah. Why? Nobody wants to see that shit. It's garbage. <laughs> Tenet's a garbage movie. I hate Tenet. I mean, I agree, but I didn't see it in theaters, and so I'm like, hmm. Maybe I did. Go check that I out. did. And it was bad. Did. I'm pretty Dude, sure in the heart in the midst of the pandemic because they released like, in theaters. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I went. Sure I, went I wore a mask. That is, they did uh, social distancing with the seating. It was like your party, and then there had to be a a, a a seat on either side between the next party. Who did I go with? It had to have been Alexa. God, I don't remember. Maybe Fernando, but bro, it was bad. It was bad in theaters. It was bad out of theaters. It was just not worth it. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like disappointment. It might be fun to go try and see that in a theatrical setting. But I agree, it is not. Could you imagine seeing it in seventy millimeter IMAX? You could do it. They're they're releasing seventy millimeter IMAX. That's true. They're in seventy. Yeah. IMAX. Yes, it's coming out well, in seventy millimeter. Yeah. I will not go and see my first seventy millimeter IMAX as Tenet. I'm waiting for the Interstellar re-release. When is that happening? It's that years. I will go see. Ten year anniversary. They should do it. So I don't even like Interstellar that much, but I would go see it in in seventy millimeter. I mean, you know my feelings on Interstellar. Yeah, you Come love Marv. Marv. Come on, Marv. Don't let me leave, Marv. Don't let me leave, Marv. No, no, no. All right. So I rewatched, dude. I rewatched the first season of True Detective this week. I well, yeah, the new the new one's out. I gotta, yeah, yeah. I gotta watch True Detective that first season, dude. It's, it's been on the docket so, for so long. Good, it's so good. I don't drink, I don't sleep. I just dream, dude. Can this, you imagine all town. the new McConaughey sayings I'm gonna have after that? It's gonna be great. This town, it's like a, a faded memory of a town. I've been driving a Lincoln long before anyone paid me to drive one. Where are those? See, that's why cable can't die. We're going to see the uh, the Lincoln commercials from Matthew McConaughey. Just pay for Hulu with ads. Dude, this, that's this the other thing, too. Of all the ones that are having ads now, Prime put ads on their stuff. Netflix, like all the ones have these ad tiers. You know, I so. wouldn't mind if they had ads if they weren't the same goddamn ads every single time. Like when I watch <laughs> Hulu with ads and it's the TV shows and they do three ads an episode and I'm watching like five episodes in a row. And it's the same ads every time it goes to commercial break. I, I get pissed off. Just vary <laughs> the ads and I won't be angry. Like supplement it with new fun ads. And then they give the thing where it's like, ooh, which ad experience would you prefer? And you get to choose between three different ads for the same product. And I'm like, I don't give a fucking shit about – I'm not the collecting products. Yeah, it's like it's like three <laughs> different film version, like three different ads that you could pick for the same product. Like they film three different versions, and you have to pick one. And it's like I don't give a fuck. Like I'm not collecting the ad experiences. I'm not like, ooh, I get to watch a new one this time. Like I don't fucking care. The only one <laughs> I do is like so is, is you have the choice of sometimes they'll be like, hey, you could watch three ads that are like a minute long in this episode, or you could watch this one two and a half minute one. That is good. Yeah. That's that good. I like. And then I always click that one. And then I go to like the bathroom. And then you, you walk away. Like, yes. <laughs> I will say though on Hulu, if you click that one, you do the two something minute ad. There is a Snickers ad that is really fucking funny. Like it's really, really good. And I will sit down and I'll watch it every time it lets me click that. I think it's gone now, but if you look it up on YouTube, there's a Snickers it's- ad. One of it's the, the you're not you and you're hungry ones. No, it's um, is it Snickers? It's some kind of candy bar. I think it's Snickers, but it's uh, uh, it's they're like maybe it's Twix. I don't remember, but they're like it's like a detective thing. Like they're investigating like a a, a candy bar robbery or something. It's really funny. You should you should right. try and find it. It's very. I think it's Snickers or I'll Twix. Be on the lookout for it. Hopefully, let me choose that one in my next Hulu watch. I'm gonna look. All up. right. Let's uh, that's in your top 10 of the year. <laughs> the uh, yeah, unnamed candy bar ad spot. All right, we will now jump into our top 10. It's Butterfinger, they're the Butterfinger investigators. Butterfingers, federal Butterfinger Makes investigators, the, the, the FBI, <laughs> nice. dude. It's right, so funny, out. it's really funny. So, 2023, the year is complete, and now it is our time. To look back on it and talk about our favorite films from that year. So, as normal, we're going to uh, talk about some of the films we weren't able to see that we think may or may not have been able to get on the list. Then we'll go through our honorable mentions, and then we will count down our list. 10 through 6, 
five through three, our runner-ups, and then our number one favorite films. Wait, I don't want to do blind spots yet. It's going to spoil what my... Because you don't know what I've seen so far, and I want you to guess what my number one is. I want to do blind spots. Why do you want me to guess? Because <laughs> I want to see um, if you can get it. Let's do blind yeah. spots at the end. Okay, sure. We'll do blind spots at the end. Yes. And also be, I'll have some asterisk mentions as well there. Okay. Um, you have any honorable yeah, mentions? be part of our, our debrief that we can do. But yeah, some honorable mentions. Uh, just a few. So first off, I'm going to say may december really yeah did you ever end up catching this i did not it's one of the ones i missed and uh uh, i've heard bad things from ezra bad things from ezra yeah ezra did not i think he was rooting for like charles melton to get supporting act yeah yeah He, he thought the performances were good but he thought the story was gross from what i understand well Intentionally so. It's talking about a, a yeah, yeah, of course, unfortunate situation based on the real life case of uh, Mary Kate Letourneau, um, yeah. where yeah, she preyed on a like twelve or thirteen year old kid, and she was a teacher. This one is inspired by that. It's not like an exactly one to one, but it's also like very clearly these are meant to be the standards for them. She's not a teacher in this one. She was like at a pet store, and he was a regular customer because he loves. Uh, pets i think it was like butterflies or something we see that sort of fascination that he has um even as an adult where he's trying to tend to these butterflies and so it's many years later where they're married they have a family and then natalie portman is coming in she's going to be playing julianne moore's character in a film and so she wants to get to know the real people that she's going to be portraying and i think it is wonderful because it's fascinating it does take a like a campy approach in some areas like there's this uh piano motif that happens that is just very cheesy and is usually accompanied by a slow zoom in on the characters um and so that paired with in this very serious subject matter there is a lot of comedic elements in there but they never make light of the joe the charles mountain character his predicament he's obviously the one that we sympathize with the most and they treat him very well and it is i think a great performance because you get to see how he's so stunted mm. like he walks and moves and even talks like a kid like he was 13 12 years old and he just wasn't able to grow up past that uh and so that part i think is very well handled uh, but then other areas of the film you're able to see like the absurdity of this woman who's so clearly like this predator but yet she tries to come off as such as like delicate little victim or someone that's being wronged by the people in the community. She's like baking all these cakes. That's like how she gets her income. And then only a few people regularly buy from her um, mm-hmm. to keep up the illusion that like, oh, we like you. But most people obviously have abandoned her. Um, and so just seeing how she continually tries to manipulate things and make her seem like she never did anything wrong and she was just naive and all of that I think is really well done. But what really struck me was Natalie Portman's character, who is also mm-hmm. kind of a predator. Like she's coming in and taking advantage of Joe in a very similar way that uh, Julian Moore's character did. And it's a great showcase of the worst type of method actors that come in and do essentially use it as an excuse to do like these horrible, awful things just to quote unquote step into the role or get closer yeah. to the truth of this character. So I thought that was a very fascinating uh, 
elements of the film that I wasn't expecting going it's an interesting in. Interesting concept for sure. Yeah. So I thought that was very well realized. And also, yeah, great performances all around. Natalie Portman, especially. I mean, she has this monologue towards the end of the film that's insane. Like she goes off. I, I can't believe it. Like coming off of Thor from last year, where she was truly like not good. I don't know if she was phoning it in or what was going on there, but like that compared to this is just night and day. Um, so yeah, great performance from her and from everyone there. My next honorable mention, Dungeons and Dragons. Honorable ah, yeah. Dude, you did this like was this honestly, one. of like the American blockbusters, I think this was the best one. I had the most fun with it. It's really? able to, yeah, play around with the fantasy tropes and whatnot that's going on. Infuses a lot of comedy into it. It's able to poke fun at itself, but, you know, be pretty sincere at different parts of its story. The characters, the whole cast is like very fun. You know, they're these archetypes, obviously, but I think they play them really well. Chris Pine, especially as that main character, he's fantastic. Uh, and then there are honestly some pretty great action sequences in here. Mainly the the one in the maze. I thought that was a very inventive way that they were able to introduce that uh, conflict and that, you know, building the tension there. And then also there's this thing with this staff that essentially works as a portal gun and they utilize that as part of their heist and i thought that was very clever uh and it definitely makes me want like a a portal movie because it's been shown so through cool. that that it can work uh, i also want a portal three the game so get Dude, on that yes please <laughs> please make a portal three but until then like the the thing that has held me over in all these years since is a dungeons and dragons movie which is crazy to say but yeah, it was it was such a surprise. Very funny, uh, very sincere. I, I really enjoyed it. And then my next honorable mention is Across the Spider-Verse. What can you say about it? It's brilliant. It's an amazing achievement in animation. I just need to see how the other half of this movie goes before <laughs> I can say uh, that this one can make the list. But yeah, it, it is fantastic. That's so, so that's, funny. Is that that's all your honorable mentions? Yes, sir. All right, my turn. Honorable mention number one, Asteroid City. I was mm. able to catch it. I liked it. I thought it was good. I understand why people don't like it. It's a little odd. It's definitely a change in like what you expect from a Wes Anderson story. Like usually they're pretty narratively straightforward. And this one seemed very odd jumping back and forth with like it being a play and jumping in with the actors as they're creating the play and then jumping into the play as they're performing it. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think it being a piece which is supposed to demonstrate sort of that like creative blockage of, of sometimes you make things and you don't know why it is the way it is. And you're trying to search for that answer within the work itself. I think that is a fascinating exploration that Jason Schwartzman's character goes on, that all of the, the actors go on as they're like performing this piece. And then as the, the characters go on within the piece itself, as they're, you know, creating these science projects and discovering new things about themselves in this little desert town and about, you know, science itself and about the universe as these aliens show up for no reason. I think it's quirky. I think it's funny. I think it's the set design is fucking incredible. I think the, the cinematography is fucking incredible. I think there's just so much fun about it. I think the opening credits where it's playing freight train and, and like the trains going through and it's like, it's obviously a toy train, but it has like the, mm -hmm. the credits. Going. I think that was just like, 
the whole beginning where it's like Brian Cranston's narrating and it's a play. Have you you seen it, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, when Brian Cranston starts up and he's narrating that it's a play and you're learning about it, they're like, okay, that's an interesting framing. And it cuts to the color of like the vibrant colors of the desert and his freight train and like the the trains going through, he's got the credits going. I was like, ah, oh, this is fantastic. I was like, I was fully in it. I was, I was absorbed in it. I was having fun with it. I think it's, it has bits that are really, really good. I think, um, Steve Carell selling tiny plots of land for like a $10 each is really funny. I think Brian Cranston showing up in the middle of the play unannounced and being am like, I, I'm not in this. Am I not in this I, one? I'm not in this one. And they go, no. And he was, oh, and he just steps out. I think that's really funny. I think there's just, it's obviously it's got that Wes Anderson performance where it's just very monotone and very dry as it's supposed to be for the humor, which is always something to plan. I think Jeffrey Wright's speech is really, really funny in it when he has to get up and he like moves from the one microphone to get to the closer microphone that's closer to the camera. And he gives a very dramatic speech about like his upbringing. I think that that was really funny. It's just it's it's a big ensemble piece. It's got a lot of moving pieces. Not a lot of character development for the minor character because usually in his movies some of the minor characters do get some character development which is entertaining to see because they're always big ensemble pieces but the just the search for answers in in your own art and all that i just i found it so fascinating and so i think it it does it it very barely did not make the list it's like number 11 it's very close just got knocked off barely Uh, another honorable mention is bo is afraid finally i was wondering I'm going to shout it out. Uh, it has mo- It didn't need to be three hours long. There were parts <laughs> that could have been cut, but the the first forty minute sequence where he's anxious and he's like living in that city that is like horrible and decrepit is is very very entertaining. It's very funny. It's very shocking. It's very scary. It's very intense. I think it's really well done. And then I think the third sequence where he's in that like sort of play forest where he engages with like himself in the past and the future and he's seeing his own life play out in this animated sequence i think that is like probably one of the greatest sequences i've seen on film all year is that that 40 minutes animated sequence in the middle of bo's fright it is tremendous it's fantastic and about that definitely keep that running list of like best scenes and all those other little superlatives that we'll have for the oscar show but yeah, I was afraid it would certainly get a mention. That's part of that film for sure. That was incredible. And then it peters out a little towards the end where things just don't really come together and make sense. I think the giant penis monster is really funny. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that. It's, it's very surprising. I think it's just really funny that his dad is a giant dick. I think that's re- – it's just something that's so on the nose that it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like it sort of peters out a little bit. and But then the end where it's him being judged by his mother and all the people in his life – and he has that just like pure anxious like nightmare of total judgment for every single thing he's done in the end in that auditorium. I think that's really great too. So it like goes back and forth throughout the movie. And I just wish he could have stuck the landing in the weaker parts. I wish he could have cut out more of that second sequence because I think that was the weakest bit where he's with the family. Because like it starts out fine and then it just goes on way too long. If that was like 20 minutes shorter, I think the movie would have moved a lot better. I think it would have been better for it. I think it would have been better if uh, he he just like made it made a little more sense towards the end, like connected some dots just a little bit more, mm-hmm. but overall, like a lot of brilliance in it and a lot of, a lot of artistic like skill that went into that. So I, I appreciate it for that respect. 
And then the last, um, I guess I'll give two more honorable mentions. One to All of Us Strangers, which I saw a little bit ago, just for the performances alone. Uh, All four of them, Andrew Scott, Paul Mescal, uh, Claire Foy, and um, Jamie Bell, were all just absolutely incredible in this movie. It's just the four of them, really. There's no other actors, but they are tremendous. And the story is very, very strong. It got me to cry a little bit at a certain point. It is definitely very intense. It's very serious. It has bits of fun in it, but it is very, it's it's such a good concept for a movie. Do you know what it's about? Yeah, you explained it before. Yeah, it's such a good concept for a movie. It just, to me, doesn't stick the landing. Like, I feel like the ending was really, really disappointing. And if it had stuck Damn. the landing, this could have been in a top 10 movie, like for sure. Wow. But to be to be a top 10 movie, you got to stick that landing. Like you have to. It's true. It's very important. Yeah. And this movie just didn't. And then the last one I want to say is Saltburn, which very similarly to really? Rangers. Saltburn is an honorable mention. Dude, did you watch it? I did. We should save this for like our January grab bag of going this into is... this. But I was I would really wonder when you were gonna end up seeing it and what you would think of it. I did not expect it would be close to the uh top ten. I'll say very little about it. It's not really that close. It's pretty because I made a I took all the movies that I saw this year and I put them on a list on Letterboxd. So I thought that'd be the easiest way to sort it. And I didn't, I didn't list all the movies I saw. I think I missed a few, but uh, that's just because they were all like superhero movies and shit like that that I wasn't going to add. <laughs> but I listed like 26 of the movies that I remembered seeing and then ranked them. And Saltburn's pretty low on the list. It's like 17. But I want to give it a shout out just because just it, is, it is very well shot. And it, it, had, it had all of the potential to be a great movie, like a top 10 movie. And it's not that the plot twist doesn't make sense. It's that the the plot twist, there is no build up to it. Like It's like she was afraid that you would guess the plot twist, so she avoided any hints at it. And that makes it a bad plot twist because it just comes out of nowhere and it doesn't make any sense for mm-hmm. that reason. But like you could have worked that into the story and it would have made sense and I would have enjoyed it. Like It would have been a good plot. Twist. It would have been an eat the rich kind of plot twist, which would have been great. But it wasn't that. This movie's crazy. There's so many wild things. It Barry sure Keoghan is. goes nuts in this movie. There's some <laughs> wild shit in here. He does. Yeah, we'll, we'll chat about it for sure. It'll be an interesting discussion. Yeah. <laughs> but it does make mostly an honorable mention because the murder on the dance floor scene at the end. Like, like I was really disappointed in the ending. I was like watching it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised they went with the plot twist. This is, you know, it is what it is. Kind of sucks because I was into it up until this point. But all right. And then they did the murder on the dance floor ending. I'm like, what a, what a strong way to end that movie. <laughs> that is great. It's it's just done so well. So I, I vibe with that. Like the movie itself, it is entertaining to watch. I just wish the writing had been stronger because it's not that strong. Those are my those are my honorable mentions. All right. All right. Then let's jump into the top 10. Do you want to start off or shall nah, I? You go. You go first. All right. My number 10 is also an animated film. It is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Wow. Turtle gang, we are being well-fed on this one. We got the gourmet pizza. We made it out of the sewers. It was just a blast. I had a lot of fun with it. Obviously, I grew up watching some uh, TMNT, the 2003 show. And so, you know, if they ever drop a movie or something like that, I'll go and see it. Even saw those live action Michael Bay ones. So sure. this one was on the radar and I'm glad I went to go see it. 
I had to go by myself initially because uh, people were not down for it. But then we were able to later on go um, in a group. So I saw it twice. And again, both times, it was just really, really fun. I love the animation style. It's obviously following in the footsteps of Spider-Verse, having that blended 3D, 2D style. But this one has its own distinct flavor of it. It's got, it's sort of like grungy, rough around the edges, grimy. It it really worked for me. Uh, and then another thing that distinguishes to this one, it actually has teens playing the Teenage Turtles. I think that comes through in their chemistry with each other. They're able to do a lot of improv work in the uh, studio. And so I think, again, like it feels like they are true brothers and definitely like they are, you know, the modern Gen Z uh, iteration of these characters. So I thought that worked really well. I like the uh, Superfly, the original villain they created. They had a whole lot of the other... 5 a.m. police knocking at my door. <laughs> yeah, y'all loved that particular... That's movie. a great line. It's it so is. funny. <laughs> it's great. Um, and what an entrance as well, coming out to Superfly. Where's Bridmar singing? And that's the thing, too, that Needle Drops in this film. Amazing. That no-diggity montage awesome fantastic the whole match cut stuff and then the he-man like meme rendition of the hey what's going on song crazy never would have thought i'd see that in a movie and it was it was wonderful it totally fit the vibe of that crazy like car chase too um yeah it was just wonderful i I had a blast it hit all the right spots i wish something like this would have came out when i was like 10 or 11 years old or something it would have been my favorite thing ever yeah, it was definitely a fun movie. I was just a little disappointed in the storytelling aspect of it because it's like it's another one where it was on the verge of greatness with the story and what it was trying to do, and it just doesn't connect. But the positives of it, you're absolutely right. Like the chemistry between the the turtles is phenomenal. It's the best chemistry I've seen from a two, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle team ever of all time. Like mm-hmm. any of the other iterations, they do not have the chemistry that this cast has. Uh, I thought, yeah, the the invention of like the villains was was very entertaining and fun i had problems with the animation style which i think i talked to you before like it's innovative but at times it is confusing and cluttering which is an issue like there were times where i could not tell what was going on which is a bad thing Mm -hmm. um the humor was definitely there the needle drops were definitely there it's it's it just was lower on my list by a lot it was lower than saltburn yeah which is fair but yeah i had a nice time i'm glad you had fun with it all right, moving on to my number nine, I have The Holdovers. Wow. So a, a throwback, a love letter to 70s filmmaking um, in spirit and in style. And I think it definitely hits the mark with that one. Uh, it's a character piece, three-hander, Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, Dominic Sessa. And I think they do wonderfully. Um, you def- it's one of those films where like these characters in order for the whole film to work, like you have to connect with these characters and they have to grow on you. And they definitely did. Like by the time midway through when they go to Boston, like everything after that point, it was like firing on all cylinders. I was so invested in these characters and in their connections with each other. I think it's a, a beautiful, I mean, it's like a holiday film over the Christmas season. They're all sort of locked up at this boarding school and you got the beautiful like snowy landscapes there. Um, and it's just them, and they're all broken, lonely people for one reason or another, either sort of like self-isolating or being isolated by other circumstances, either their parents or the loss of a loved one, their child. Um, and so 
they have to sort of find warmth and comfort in each other, a found family sort of thing. And I, I really loved that. Also, the humor is very strong in this one. There's a lot of true laugh out loud moments. Um, the one that I'll just shout out here is in the car. There's an injury that one of them sustains. And then as they're on their way to the hospital in the car, there's a, a heated argument there. Um, and so I thought that was really, really great. Uh, and then also the small little moments of them just enjoying each other's company. So delightful. Like I could have spent so much more time of them just doing things like that. The scene where they get the like cherries Jubilee, where a waitress at a restaurant won't let them get uh, some sort of cake because like it's partly made with the bourbon or whatever. And so the kid isn't old enough. And so they have to find their own way basically of, oh, just give us the cake, give us the cherries. And then we'll go outside basically and uh, pour some Jim Bean on there and then light it up and they have their own Cherry's Jubilee. Like that moment was great. And then later, a little later, the New Year's party um, was also so touching. Like we can see how they've grown so comfortable with each other and are able to just enjoy that time. And it was great. Like it's just, yeah, it's lovely getting to see these people overcome their struggles through each other, through the unlikely connections they have with each other. Uh, beautiful film. Very, very beautiful. All right. My number eight is Blackberry. A, uh, a hey, corpo. that's yeah, that's one I missed. God. That was when you missed, dang, yeah. A Corpo biopic, you know, <laughs> cut uh, from the cloth of the social network where they aren't trying to do any sort of PR for the people involved here. They're not trying to be like, oh, look at this great uh innovation that we have this great company this great uh invention they're just telling the story of the rise and fall of this company and how the hubris and greed and selfishness of the people involved poisoned the good thing that they had created through their teamwork and their intelligence and all of that um and so i really enjoyed how it didn't need to pull its punches it didn't need to feel the need to like stay very true to how the people actually were or how they've looked. Um, there's like a character that wears a headband in this film all the time. It's just like part mm -hmm. of his, his wardrobe. Absolutely not the case in real life. Like that guy did not ever wear headbands like that. So it was, I think that helped it a lot because they didn't need to be like, oh yeah, we have to run cover basically or run interference for these people. They could just be like, yeah, they were kind of scumbags and we're not going to shy away from that. Um, and it's also so funny, so incredibly funny. This I watched it right after Succession ended, and so this helped out with the Succession withdrawals, like the mm -hmm. witty, fast-paced, like clever insults that that show had. BlackBerry was able to have something similar to it. Um, it also with the sort of camera angle, like that almost mockumentary style, not where there's any talking heads, but it's sort of like you know you're capturing this. Uh, from afar and you're like overhearing these conversations things like that I think worked really well for this this vibe there's some great character moments in here the film is bookended by this character being annoyed by a certain buzz and I thought that was just a great way to tie everything together and then your boy Glenn Howerton was he good he goes crazy in this film dude he screams so much I know he was having fun with that dude he's awesome he's so good so yeah it was uh, another Really, really great film. Mm -hmm. Number seven? My next film, number seven. I am surprised that it's on my list and not on yours. 
I, once again, have not been able to see any of this guy's films in theaters, but I was able to catch his release that came out this year, later on down the line. It is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. No fucking shot, dude. That's crazy. Yes, sir. You liked it that much? Yeah, I loved it. Dude, the way this film looks... It's so good. It's got to oh be the best God. film of this Dude, you year. Were holding, you were holding it in so bad when I was talking about it. That's so yes. funny. Oh, my God. Yeah, the color grade. I, I just, I'm mesmerized by it. I'm mesmerized by it. Dude, the freight train. Freight train. <laughs> freight train. Dude, <laughs> it gets me so hyped when I watch that. I know. That was lovely, for sure. Uh, but, yeah, just overall way it looks. I mean, you know, going into Wes Anderson, you're going to get all that, like, very tableau-esque framing and all of that. Yeah. But again, the color greatness was just so good, so crisp and lush. Like it popped, but it was also looked gorgeous. muted in a way because there was like the pastels. That was crazy and awesome. Uh, and then I loved the meta narrative aspect of it as well. Like it's a play yeah. within a TV program about the making of that play in a movie. And so we have these levels of distance from these characters because sometimes we know their characters being played by actors that are characters in this movie and all of that. Um, and then as you were saying, it definitely touches on this idea of not knowing like what you're sort of doing with your life or what you're doing with this piece of art and trying to figure it out mm-hmm. along the way. And I think that message was like really beautifully done in the film. Like there's a, a yeah. moment with Adrian Brody later on talking to Jason Schwartzman's character. And he's just like, I still don't understand the play. He's telling uh, Adrian Brody, still don't understand the play. And he responds like it's okay like you're you're doing great you're doing them right just keep telling the story which i think is a lovely way to like encapsulate that like sometimes you don't know what you're doing either with a story or in life sometimes life gets flipped upside down from an alien encounter or the loss of a loved one unexpectedly things like that and then you're just treading water you don't know what you're doing where you're going Um, but like that's okay and you can just keep keep pushing forward, keep telling story, keep going, um, and you'll be able to make it through. I kind of loved that, like, sentimentality that he had to it. As you pointed out, like, a lot of it is, you know, the stilted dialogue, the dry delivery, Mm -hmm. um, like, in these, like, layers of distance from the characters of knowing their characters in a play and stuff like that. But he finds ways to invite you to actually, like, buy into and care about these characters and their struggles that they're going through, even though you're knowing it's, like, a story unfolding before you. And I think that's pretty beautiful. Um, And then I think it's also probably one of the better examinations of like the the pandemic era without directly being about that. Um, Everyone gets quarantined after that alien encounter incident. And then we even see, which also just lovely, beautiful framing, like Jason Schwartzman's character and Scarlett Johansson's character as neighbors, like in their houses, talking through the windows. Dude, so Like, you know, these Zoom windows basically um and they're just again once again like lonely people that don't know how to connect that are trying to connect and want to but again they're like there's something in the way so i thought that was another really compelling and beautiful part to the story again there's a lot of things that are funny and or just out there strange but interesting like the alien itself the claymation that coming down like that whole sequence was just uh delightful so I was surprised as well of how much, like, especially after seeing it, how much it stuck with me. Of course, again, that imagery couldn't leave my head, but thinking of these other parts of the story, certain scenes that really stuck out and 
you know, just had, I thought, great ideas to them. I think somewhere else in the film, they mentioned like, oh, what's the play about infinity and everything else. Um, and it does tackle quite a few things here. And it's wrestling with the fact that, yeah, there's so much going on and it's hard to make everything make sense. But again, you got to just keep pushing through, yeah. um, keep telling the story and things will things will happen. And again, you don't need to understand everything. Everything doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. You don't have to have this sort of existential um, comprehension. But you do got to just keep going. So I thought that was beautiful. There's just so many good bits too. I love when Scarlett Johansson, her the actress playing the character, is trying to flee and she's on the train, and then the kid who's playing the understudy shows up and That's he a has great the scene. Yeah, he has the letters from the director and she's like, read them. He's like, okay, so I have this one in case you're upset, and he unfolds it and he goes, <laughs> "Fuck you! I can't believe you left. Fuck you, asshole! I can't believe you left me." And he's like reading. It's like a shit. It's like a shit on letter. He's like, okay, but I have this one if you're really angry. And he reads it. and He's like, "Fuck you for being angry. I fucking hate you." Right. He's so funny. That was great. Absolutely. Uh, I can't believe this made your top 10. That's so crazy. Which Wes Anderson movies have you seen? It was wild. Again, not too much. I still haven't uh, seen French Dispatch, Isle of Dogs. I haven't seen. I don't think any since. Uh, I mean, there were a few before Grand Budapest I missed, and I don't think any since Grand Budapest. I know those are like the two major ones. You didn't see French Dispatch? No. That's good. I, so I you've seen this, Grand one. Budapest, and which one's before Grand Budapest? Uh, I know I haven't seen moonrise kingdom dude you would love moonrise Kingdom, and then royal tenenbaums i know those are like the two big ones that were like you would love on moonrise his come up that he loves so yeah i gotta i gotta catch those um but i yeah, love i was, I was all of his movies i love all if i made I know, it you're, the big, list, you're the big west boy so i'm amazed that uh yeah. andrew astro city didn't make it in your top 10. i think asteroid city would be b tier on the the wes anderson tier list where s tier is grand budapest and fantastic mr fox and Probably Royal yeah. Tenenbaums, and then A tier is Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, uh, what else did he make? Um, French Dispatch, maybe, and then B tier would be like Steve Zissou. Steve Zissou is just like a fun one. Like it, it does have some heart to it, but it's very You're funny. And it's just quirky. <laughs> it's just so much. It's it's. It reminds me a lot of Asteroid City in the sense that like people might be annoyed because they don't understand it or that like, there's no big deep lesson other than like there is like in Asteroid city. The lesson is that you need to just keep moving forward and keep telling the story, but there's no like overarching character lesson that they're trying to go through. And Steve Zissou kind of has that too, a little bit like there's something there, but not much, but they're just so much fun to look at. And there's just so much fun to like engage with. It's just so entertaining. For but sure. Moonrise Kingdom, you would love that movie. Yeah. Particularly. I think so. Well, uh, I'll definitely be catching up on some Wes Anderson stuff. We gotta do a we gotta do a Wes Anderson episode, and we it's gonna have to be a two parter because we're gonna do every single one of his movies except maybe <laughs> okay. Darjeeling. Darjeeling Limited and Isle of Dogs are two I'd be willing to skip. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll be. Done those are those are D tier. There's none in F tier, but Darjeeling Limited and Isle of Dogs are D tier for sure. Oof. All right, now into my number six which I know will be popping up on your list high up there. So. I'll only talk about it briefly, but Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, you watched it. I did. I was able to get there in excellent courtroom drama. But I love, I can't remember if you had said something similar to your list when you talked about it in the grab bag recently, but like it is trying to determine what went down in this crime, right? This fall that it happened. But mm-hmm. it's also a dissection and anatomy of a relationship <laughs> that's falling apart and how putting everything under a microscope, wow. all the little bits and pieces of this relationship, it's trying to get to 
a truth, but it's very difficult to get there because of how subjective things are or how limited we get. Like they haven't lived every single moment. We're having to get these little bits and pieces, these glimpses into their lives that obviously may not represent the full truth or like the normalcy that maybe they had, um, which is a thing that, you know, the character brings up at some point of like, yes, this was a part of reality. Like it happened, but it's not, it isn't reality. It wasn't who we are most of the time. Um, and so I thought that was a fascinating exploration of that. And just showing like what that does to people, like putting someone's like, entire life basically on trial to see whether they have the capacity to do this to somebody they loved um, and what that does to them. But then also like their whole family, like the boy that's caught in the middle of all this. Um, so I thought that was great. The performances are insane. Sandra Huller, incredible, amazing. Like, She's so good. Such a revelation, this. Um, and then also I got to give a shout out to the boy, like that child actor. Got to be the best child performance of the year. He was sensational. And then also best Oscar for a performance by an animal goes to the dog. That Dude. was insane. <laughs> like he was incredible. Um, so yeah, I thought it worked really, really well, especially the way that they were able to cut between some of the stuff in the courtroom and then the flashbacks that we get or the little glimpses that we get into the past, they were very sparing with those, which helped made their impact hit a lot more when they did show them. Um, but I, I was definitely like anticipating those particular moments because I wanted to, to see a bit more of, okay, what went down? What were these parts rather than, you know, hearing some of the, the testimonies that we were getting and those parts for sure worked. Mm-hmm. really really well like that fight scene that argument scene between them be on the lookout for when we do our uh thing in the oscars because that's got to be one of the top scenes of the year for sure yeah absolutely all right is it my turn to do my 10 through 6 it absolutely is i'm so excited so my number 10 movie is one that i don't think you were able to catch correct me if i'm wrong it's dream scenario with nicholas cage mm-hmm. yeah was not able to see it Oh my god, dude, this movie's so funny. There's so many weird... It's such an, an odd concept. It's so bizarre. But I think it handles... It's it's about, like, kind of like cancel culture in a way. And it's about uh, who we target and why we target them and who they are as people. And it, it's not necessarily anti-cancel culture or pro-cancel culture. It's just talking about what it is and, like, how it affects people how they can go about their lives for things that they did do or that they didn't do if they go about this, you know, like innocent till proven guilty thing. If they are still innocent to be treated such a way seems harsh. It is so fascinating. Nicholas Cage is perfect for this role. I just I just had so much fun watching it. I was just entertained thoroughly from start to finish. I was I was blown away by the concept. I was I was laughing a lot in a lot of the the dream sequences because they just do they show a lot of people's dreams in it of course and Nicolas Cage is just kind of there and it's very very funny there mm-hmm. is there is one scene I won't spoil it but you have to watch the movie by the time we do our Oscar prediction episode or our Oscar wins episode because the scene in this movie will 100% win my biggest laugh out loud moment oh wow <laughs> it is the funniest thing I saw in theaters I was completely, I went alone to the theater. So I, it was me sitting by myself. <laughs> it was the hardest I had laughed out loud in a theater in years. It was so fucking funny. It was so funny. Because it's just so 
dumb. It's just so dumb, but it's perfect. You got to watch it because otherwise I'm going to spoil it when we do the Oscar episode. Okay. Yeah, I'll try and catch yeah. it before then for sure. That was definitely a, a big plus for me was, was the laughing. Got to laugh again, but I, I just enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed the movie and I think everybody should go watch it. I understand why some people might be like, might think it's dumb or might think it's silly, but I think it's a good concept. I think it has good laughs. Sure. Like, it has good, I think it has good heart to it too, like surprising amount of heart, especially the ending. Like the ending is very touching. So I, I enjoyed it. Uh, my number nine is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. This was bound to show up on my list, man. Wow, yeah. I love Mission Impossible. It'll always be sure when, Fallout, dude, when Fallout came out, it was in my top five. Of course, you can go back and listen to that episode. But this one, this one just, I mean, it wasn't as great as Fallout, I would argue. It definitely had some lapses to it, but it's just pure action entertainment. Like it is, you you can't top it. It is just so thrilling and so much fun. I think the concept of the AI started to grow on me as I've seen it a couple times. I think it is a very daring and dangerous villain to be up against. I think uh, S.I.E. Morales as the, the actual human villain was really successful. I think he was very intimidating. Um, I think Rebecca Ferguson dying made me very sad because she was cool. Uh, what do I care? It's been out for <laughs> almost a year now. Her. It's been yeah, out for almost some, a year now. Nah, a, go fuck you know, just give a warning if it, if it happens. Nah, go fuck you. spoil something. I mean, come on. Fuck you. Um, but yeah, I mean, that one was definitely a, a part of the film, as we talked about on our pod focusing on it i was not mm-hmm. fond of hopefully well no because i hate sort of like bringing back characters needlessly so yeah, she's dead she's definitely she's they don't gone, do that mission but Bosco. she's dead yeah very uh upsetting way to send her away from the franchise yeah but the rest of the movie is so damn entertaining like it's just so enthralling the whole train sequence is fantastic at the end there uh, i just i love it and i'm very pumped for the second one to come out very very pumped Part two, except now they're not calling it part two. Yeah, which they, is really sad because they, they called the first one part one. <laughs> if you're gonna do it, like just stay committed. But it man. still says it still know. says part one on all of the on all of like IMDb and Letterbox on and the all Oscar that. nominations. They called it part one. Part really. one, yeah. Which, by the way, first time that a Mission Impossible film got nominated for an Oscar, they got two. What is it for this year? Uh, it got I think sound and then. VFX? I don't know. I forget As exactly what it was. But it, it got should. it. sounded it got really good. Yeah. I liked it. Uh my number eight movie is one that I doubt is gonna be on your list. It's gonna be The Boy and the Heron. Ah, okay. I I enjoy thorough, like well well made animation. Very, very strongly. It's this the same reason why I didn't like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that much is the reason why I like this movie so much, is because it's just so animated perfectly like everything is exquisitely detailed and perfect those birds bro those parakeets hilarious one of the greatest things i've ever seen on on a movie screen is those giant parakeets the story the story is a little hard to follow of course because it is high concept similar to spirited away and i think it isn't as successful as spirited away like spirited away if if we were doing this list for the 2001 movies and we were talking about those i think spirited away probably be my top three maybe even my number one movie of that year depending on what else came out but this movie's still going to make the top 10 just because I think if I had to be honest, I think this year was a bit weaker in movies. There wasn't a lot that grabbed me and really shook me, which is disappointing, but I still think the boy in the harem was wildly successful in at least engaging me in this sort of world building aspect of it. Even though I wasn't fully sold on what it means and what the meaning is, and what the purpose is. I think that just means that I need to watch it more and, and fully engage with it more. 
to fully engross myself in that storytelling. But I'm excited to watch it more and peel back those layers of what's supposed to be there and what I'm supposed to learn. I think Robert Pattinson was great in it as the the heron. You can't beat that. I, I think there was just so much to it that was engaging and entertaining and vivid that I just it has to be in my top ten. God damn it. Bless you. My number my number seven movie is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. What the boy and the heron didn't do. <laughs> To me, Spider-Man did. I mean, there was a solid story there. It worked really, really well. Uh, the characters are all, are of course, fantastic. I, I'm already engrossed in the world because of the first movie, and I think they continued it very strongly in the second one and built up the third one really, really well. Of course, I know you don't like cliffhangers that much. I'm very pro cliffhangers. I think it's a good idea, and I am I'm pumped. Cliffhangers is just yeah. I just needed to know the direction that they were gonna to take it because the way they were setting certain things up, I'm like, okay. You can get away with this if we see the resolution to it. But since we haven't yet, I'm like, okay, I need to wait and see. If they have, again, I'm saying, like, if they have uh, Miguel, like, not be lying about the whole canon events thing, if he's either just very mistaken or actually telling the truth, that would be a big plus in its favor. Because right now, I don't know which way they're going to go with that. And then if they have um, Miles' dad sacrifice himself of his own choice in order to save Miles... And so it's like Miles has to deal with losing a loved one and you can't save everyone. Then, again, it goes up in my estimation. But I just need to see because they've set these things up, but we don't see where they end. So I need to see the resolution in order to be like, yes, those story components were working for me. Yeah, um, I don't need to see. Yeah. I don't need to see it. I'm okay with with being left on that cliffhanger story-wise of not knowing where they're going to go with it and still being satisfied with the the product that they put out there. I think the movie is wildly successful I think it's incredibly entertaining. Of course, it's animated incredibly well. I think the cameos and like the little details hidden in everything is very, very entertaining and very interesting. I think the spot as the the villain of the story, along He's with great. Miguel, Lair, is is very well done. I think the idea of turning this cartoonish character, voiced by Jason Schwartzman, into something that is more intimidating is working well so far and will continue to work into the third movie. I think if they push that spot villain as someone to be more and more intimidating. As the story goes on, I think I will be more and more entertained by it. I just it, it it's just one of those movies where you're sitting in the theater and you're just entertained for two and a half hours straight, and it's perfect. Like there's no moment where I'm upset, there's no moment where I'm bored. I'm thoroughly engaged the entire time, which is great. My nice. number six movie is a movie I saw last night, the last second, right before we recorded this. It's American Fiction with Jeffrey Wright. Dude, nice. I got to see American Fiction. Um. It is just, it's such a simple story, and it works really, really well. It's its a kind of a family comedy drama. It's very, very funny. There's very, very funny moments, and I think you would like it a lot, Ryan, because there's a lot of good humor in it. Um, and I think Jeffrey Wright is obviously the powerhouse of this film. He's pushing it forward, and there's a lot of scenes with a lot of great actors that he gets to interact with, but his performance is just so subtle and balanced it's fantastic it's very very funny performance that he's delivering it's definitely a comedy for sure but he's still he's still at the heart of it and it's it's he's telling he's pushing forward the narrative that the movie's trying to push forward in a very very strong way and he as a character learns a lot of great lessons along the way like it's very tight story-wise like the the lessons and the morality of it are very very tightly written which is incredible and that combined with good performances and an entertaining overall theme to the story and like just 
great characters makes it a, a very entertaining watch, even though there's not like, it's not like it's beautifully shot or like the production design is insane. It's not like it's like testing the boundaries of filmmaking. It is just a good character drama, which you just don't see a lot of these days. You don't see a lot of people pushing good storytelling just for the sake of storytelling, not not anything, you know, creative, like super, super expansive or boundary pushing outside of that. Like they're just telling mm-hmm. a good story very simply. And you don't see that a lot these days. And I think it works very, very well in that regard as just a very simple straightforward let's get a camera point at it shoot it get it done but the story's so strong you don't need to do anything else outside of that like i think that works really well for it so i was entertained by the story i think it's one of the best uh uh, screenplays of the year i think jeffrey wright is one of the best performances of the year and i am now on the sterling k brown train for best supporting actor wow okay i really am i know people want robert downey jr to win and he probably is going to win because he is sterling k to win Yes, I do. Wow. What Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer did not blow me away, as we've talked about before. Yeah. He's he's in it a lot, and he is a supporting actor. That is correct. He's not the main character. Kelly Murphy's the main character. But there's nothing really there that captivates me that much in Robert Downey Jr.'s performance. He's just playing the villain of the movie, which doesn't really sell me on like a great performance. For a while, I was on the Mark Ruffalo train for Poor Things because he does deliver so much comedic you know, that's why I'm that shocked story. that you switched away from the uh, the Ruffalo team. I think Sterling K. Brown, his performance is, you know, you get a supporting actor in a movie or a supporting actress, and there are some where they are there to build up the lead performance because the uh, like by by grounding them or by by making a presence that uplifts their performance. That is a, as an example of a very good supporting actor that I think Robert Downey Jr. does for Killing Murphy and that Mark Ruffalo does for Emma Stone. Sterling K. Brown is a very different kind of supporting actor in this movie that you don't see that often. He's the kind of supporting actor that steals the fucking show every time he shows up on screen. It is Jeffrey Wright's movie start to finish, except for the scene, the scenes that Sterling K. Brown's in because he comes in like a firecracker and he steals it. He steals that show. And that mm-hmm. kind of supporting actor comes out very, very rarely. Like, like uh, uh, JK Simmons is kind of like that in whiplash where it is Miles Teller's movie. It's his story for sure. But every time J.K. Simmons is on screen, you're watching J.K. Simmons because like yeah. he's stealing the show there. Sterling K. Brown does that a lot in this movie, and he does it really successfully. I'm 100% convinced he is that character as I'm watching the movie. Like he is fully engrossed in that character that has not much screen time. Like he's not in it a lot, but he is that person. He is that character, and he's fantastic in it. And he is hilarious. He's so funny. I'm I'm very supportive of Sterling K. Brown winning an Oscar, even though I don't think he will. I think Robert Downey Jr. will win, but that is what it is. Gotcha. Wow. So high praise for Sterling K. Brown and American Fiction. You're very high praise. All right. Then let's switch over to me for my number five. And speaking of Mark Ruffalo, Poor Things is coming in. Wow. My wow. Most you watched in. it. I sure did. I had to. It is such a unique and creative movie in so many different parts. I mean, you were talking with American Fiction, like it's a simple story. They're not really trying to push the boundaries or go crazy in these other areas of filmmaking. Poor Things is like they're going balls to the wall in all these different departments. I mean, the visuals are dazzling. There's not a dull camera angle or shot in the whole film. The production design out of this world insane like quite literally like i love the fusion of the victorian era and then it's steampunk and sort of sci-fi in these different ways 
that's fantastic. Again, the costuming also follows along with that and is great. The dialogue, I mean, the this film also has that sort of vibe of the the Wes Anderson where it's like humans don't talk like this, but who cares because it's so interesting and compelling. It's well constructed but offbeat. So that was always uh very engrossing. And the score as well, also adding to this like sort of otherworldly, sort of fantastical vibe that the film has going on. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great. And of course, you gotta mention Emma Stone's performance in this as Bella Baxter. Oh my god. Amazing sensation. She's incredible. Fully commits to the role, and you believe that you're watching like a someone that has the brain of a baby, basically, like go through this full development and maturation process of like 30 years in this two hour span. Like we get to see that every like little incremental change that she goes through over the course of it. It's mm. all believable. It's crazy to be able to do that. So she is fantastic. Yeah. And also the story itself, uh, I think works really well. You know, her again, essentially getting this exposure to life and learning how to deal with everything that's going on, how to uh, live in her own body, live within this world that has many great things about it, but also many terrible things as well. And having to reconcile with that. Um, I thought all of that was great. And then seeing her, you know, she's able to essentially grow up again, like in a very rapid development time span and gain command over her, her language, actually being able to, you know, use more proper English, um, her behavior, getting control of like, how she's able to walk and all of that. Um, and then her worldview, like being able to look at these ideas of the world and then fold that into her own perspective and all of that um, as she, again, like develops, matures. I thought all that was really wonderful. And I think it's an amazing piece of commentary of how it'll drive certain people that wanted to control her in her more like naive and impressionable state. Um, it drives them crazy. And we see that really well done in Mark Ruffalo, who is just hilarious in this film. He's fantastic. Like, He's so good. From trying to be this like very suave, debonair guy uh, that's going to like show her the world. And then he just continuously gets more and more pathetic and just resentful and angry and bitter at her like going off and living her own life. Um, just a great performance, like truly amazing. And the rest of the film too offers so many laughs. I mean, there's a lot of these witty one-liners in there too, but also great physical gags. My favorite being Willem Dafoe's burp bubble. <laughs> yeah. It's so it's, funny. Like who comes up with that idea? And it's like, yeah, this, this has to be the one where we go back to it like three times just to introduce the scene. Uh, fantastic. Works really well. Um, and I love the, the sort of shift it takes towards the end of the film when um, the husband comes back into the picture and that took on a much more like unnerving and unsettling uh, tone, which I thought was really well done. And then the interstitials, like in between each new location that they go to, beautiful. Like so much. Yeah. I would how love the fuck to do they do that. I don't know. I like it's I, gorgeous. I, I was like, how? How? How'd they do how? that? But yes. How'd they like, make it look so more? I want to see like an hour long avant garde piece of just like that stuff happening because it was it was amazing like fantastic. So dude, the on Letterbox when you can when you can change the posters, the poster I changed poor things to was the the intermediate where she's riding the fish. It's a poster. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it just looks so cool, striking and great. Um, yeah, it is it is fantastic. I mean, part of why yeah this film just struck me so much is it 
it looks so amazing. It's so one of a kind. Like it, there's a clear vision here, and it's being executed in every area of film. Like every single department is working towards that vision, and it's rendered beautifully. So yeah, poor things. My number five. My number four film, Godzilla minus one. You oh, saw it? Best blockbuster of the year. Yes. This was wow. fantastic. The whole thing with, you know, you were bringing up Godzilla versus Kong earlier. The thing about those movies is no one cares about the characters. We just want to get to the big CGI monsters attacking yeah, of each course. other. Godzilla minus one is able to actually make you care about the characters. Like that That's is the incredible. focus. It's a character drama. And then you have Godzilla as part of it, um, which is like the ice. I got to see cake. it. You didn't see it? Oh my god! You I haven't seen it. I haven't so, seen it. It's so good. Again, the construction of like this main character is brilliant. It's he's a kamikaze fighter pilot who you see like return from his mission, and of course that's like, oh, you you were sent on a kamikaze mission. You don't come back. How are you back? And so he has mm-hmm. to deal with essentially the shame, basically, of everyone else like blaming him, saying like he didn't do his duty, and then that gets tied up with Godzilla somehow. So Godzilla becomes like a representation, a reminder of the shame and guilt that he's feeling for not being able mm-hmm. to fulfill his national duty and all of that. Um, and so that's just a beautiful way to construct the character. You being, you know, storyteller yourself, I'm sure you know what arc that means for the character of him, like wanting to reconcile or uh, correct that mistake that he feels and feel like he has to, you know, reclaim his honor and go defeat Godzilla and if he has to sacrifice his life, that'll, you know, so be it. That's what he has to do. But the whole film is showcasing him, like, having this, again, like, found family type of thing, too, where he just sort of stumbles into the situation where he's having to care for a child and this woman, and they sort of get into this romance. Um, but, yeah, again, it's not like a traditional family because they're not in a wife and the kid isn't theirs. But that's sort of the situation they find themselves in. And so now he has this responsibility to people in his life. And yet he's carrying that same guilt of, I should have died. I'm being blamed for not dying in these missions. Godzilla's around. I blame myself for that. So I need to go make that right. But I have people at home that care for me and like, I can't leave alone. So boom, you have that dilemma and it just works so well. Uh, There's a sequence in the middle of this film that is just Jaws with Godzilla beautiful amazing like since jaws i haven't seen like a boat sequence or a boat chase thing especially involving a creature that has worked as well as that that was amazing it also it carries the torch from uh maverick of having some awesome war room scenes planning things out and then a great uh you know aerial uh sequence towards the end of the film where we get these callbacks and these payoffs to things and some surprises it is just fantastic. And then the Godzilla attacks as well. There's the whole thing of the budget being like 50 million, something like that. Um, so there's some times where Godzilla doesn't look, you know, the greatest, but there are other times where it's amazing, like how he looks. And they spared no expense coming to the atomic breath scenes when he's like firing that up. Amazing stuff. So you definitely have got to go see this one. I got to see it, yeah. The best like Godzilla one I've seen for sure. Again, the Godzilla 2014 one, I actually like that one a lot. I did um, too. When we do our Godzilla episode later this year, I'll definitely mm-hmm. revisit that and see. But this one... There's the other Japanese one that came out around the same time, like 2012 or something. That yeah, also, I think it's Shin Gojira. Godzilla, I believe. Shin Godzilla. Yeah, yeah. So that 
Um, either way, like whichever one is best, who knows? But we are definitely getting the, one of the best Godzilla films ever through this one. Godzilla minus one, amazing. Did Lillian ever go see it? She had to, right? I mean, right? She loves Godzilla. Can. Yeah, we'll see. Again, we'll we'll be able to talk about it for sure on that show um, as we build up to Godzilla versus Kong. Um, but yeah, fantastic. And then my number three, I'm going with Barbie. Look, no shot, dude. Look, I had a lot over of over poor things. I saw it twice. I know we had Prestige Barbie with uh, poor things, and we had Barbie Barbie. Um, so yeah, it was just it was so much fun. And I think again, I love Greta Gerwig. This is counted the third time that a film of hers has ended up in the top five uh, for one of the for the years. Little Little Women ended in your top five. Yeah. It was in your top was, 10, too. It, it was, was in my top 10, but I don't think it was top five. Maybe it yeah. was. I did really like Little Women. It was Maybe it was in my top Lady five. Lady Bird, number one of that year, I believe. I'd have to go back and see. For you? That was pre-pod, so we didn't have yeah. like a full thing. But yeah, I think so. I love that film. So, again, Greta Gerwig, she's just great. Like, the way she's able to weave in she's the emotionality um, into these things. And here, this was like the greatest test of that, because you have what could just be a dull, lifeless commercial for a brand and an advertisement basically she was able to give it so much soul and passion make it have weight have ideas you know obviously it's talking about gender roles and politics and uh you know feminism and all of that and i think the way that it approaches it to be you know accessible we were talking about that of you know is that monologue for instance too simplistic and uh try just like you know we already know all this or is it something where when future generations come to this or little girls are growing up and watching it um and boys do they can like see sort of that that message maybe for the first time and get it in a film that is for all these other parts of it extremely fun and exciting and uh vibrant like in the production designs there uh throughout barbie land and all the other stuff was great the performances are fantastic. I mean, Margot Robbie is great, giving a like very much comedic performance. Ryan Gosling, of course, is Ken. Insane, like, out of this world, great performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the musical elements as well. Like, she took a lot of inspiration from MGM musicals. Let me see that, not just in the I'm Just Ken number, in the Barbie World stuff, but the overall, like, construction of the film also very much harkens back to that. So I think it was just a really well-designed film. It could have been disastrous or boring or dull in a million ways, but it being Greta Gerwig that came into this and brought it to life made it stand out so much. Again, it was just, it was a blast. I loved so much of it. So Barbie does get into my number three. I mean, I'm as surprised as you when I was creating the list. I was like, nothing That's is crazy. overtaking Barbie. I had it like on the list. I was like, it's definitely in the top 10 once I had seen it, but I was like, there will be things that will come through and overtake it, but Nothing really did. Again, I saw it twice, enjoyed it both times. The experience as well. I mean, that definitely adds to it. The whole Barbenheimer experience. Yeah, of course. There, and it's like a sea of pink in there. And it's packed to the brim. Everyone's laughing at like all the jokes and stuff. So, I mean, it was just, you can't beat that. I mean, it definitely has an effect on you. And so mm-hmm. I love the Barbie experiences that I had. Um, sure. Yeah, Greta Gerwig, she don't miss. She just got it. She, she just don't miss. She don't miss. What's number two? We'll go over to you for your five through three, and then we'll each. Do oh, we're doing five through three. Yeah. 
So let's, oh, okay. uh, let's hear your number five. My number five is Past Lives. Oh, snap. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Not as high up on the list as I thought it would I'm be, right? I'm curious of what, what will be. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, I, again, I really enjoyed Past Lives. We talked about this in the Past Lives episode. There was something there that was missing for me. I'm not sure what it was. Something to do with John McGarrow's character, maybe. And, and like, that interpretation of, of like, it's just so subtle of a movie. It's It's hard to get under the skin of the characters because it's so, like, it's so subtle in the fact that we don't know what they're thinking the whole time. We don't know what they want. But at the same time, we have a feeling of what it is because we know what we would want in that situation, how we would feel in that situation. So that leaves me wanting more. And of course, the ending is unsatisfying on purpose in the sense that there is no, to me, it's a little unsatisfying because there is no closure in, in, in what she wants. She's just taking that part of her life and moved past it and let it go, which is very sad for her, sad for me as the viewer, of course, and she has to move on from that. But again, gorgeous movie, incredibly well-written, incredibly performed, mm-hmm. incredibly shot, incredibly directed. Like, they, they, this movie cannot get enough praise. It was on my radar the second you mentioned it to me and told me to watch the trailer. I watched the trailer. I said, this will be in my top five for sure. I would love this movie. I watched it. I did love it. I just had a couple of hangups about it. And honestly... I have not seen it since we watched it. I think if I went back to the theater, because it's in theaters again for being nominated for Best Picture, if I went back and I rewatched nice. it, which I might do either this weekend or next, because I've been meaning to see it again, if I go and I rewatch it, it might end up higher on the list because I might have more of an appreciation for it, knowing where it's going and being able to watch it from that perspective. I just think, again, similar to American fiction, it's just so rare to see just character dramas where... We are focused on the characters just being with each other and talking and have that done really, really well. A lot of people mm-hmm. will try to do the gimmicks of like making something look fantastic, like the creator, or they will try and like use gimmicks of like like meta storytelling, kind of like Asteroid City to make it stand out and to make it mean something more than maybe it normally would. I think everything ever all at once was like the big end all of like my appreciation for meta uh, storytelling is I don't think that can be topped in that regard. I think it, it keeps itself grounded at the same time as being about everything. And I think that's so impressive of it. And I'm so glad it won best picture and all that, but I'm kind of mm-hmm. moving past my uh, desire for meta storytelling in favor of more grounded storytelling, more traditional storytelling or postmodern storytelling, something like that. And so past lives and American fiction, these things like that, I appreciate so much more now being past that sort of desire to create meta storytelling products. And I care more about just grounded characters in reality, living their lives and having those discussions with each other, having that dialogue with one another and that appreciation for one another, that love, that hate, whatever feeling they're feeling, but in reality, in a life that I can see existing. Because if you can take scenes of just normal people going about their lives and just having dialogue with one another and interacting with one another and make it interesting for an hour and 40 minutes. I think that is incredibly impressive. And I think Celine Song did it perfectly this year. I think it's one of the examples this year of that being done super, super well. And so I have a great appreciation for that. My number four is a movie I saw last night. I double featured at the theater before oh, I man. saw it. You always, you always go for that. You like sneak in 
a few films at the very end yeah to get it in there so what was the okay wait so in theaters what could it be best picture nominees are back in theaters remember so oh they are back in theaters (gasps) could it be no has it come out yet zone of interest it is the zone of interest. Oh man, wow! I was able to go see it because it was it was in theaters for a while in the beginning of January and the end of December, and then the day I went to go see it was the day they had taken it out. And I went fuck, but Tuesday they dropped or Monday I don't remember Tuesday they dropped the best picture nominees, and so this weekend they really re released all of those movies in different theaters. So Winter Park Theater was showing the zone of interest as well as a couple other ones. And so I double featured that with American Fiction, which was a very odd combination. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it, was, it was honestly fun. I, I just went by myself. I watched The Zone of Interest. I had like an, an hour-ish between movies. and went and got some pizza, ate some pizza, ranked the movies on Letterboxd, uh, and then went and saw American Fiction. And so it was a good night. But The Zone of Interest is crazy. Oh, my God blows my mind it is such a powerful story of complacency and i left the theater like actually upset and disturbed for sure Mm. because i won't because you haven't seen it i won't talk too much about it but it is told entirely from the perspective of the nazis living outside the, the walls of auschwitz and at no point do you see inside the walls at no point do you go into the camps you just mm-hmm. hear all of it. You hear it because it's just over the walls. And it is horrifying. The There's a lot of conversations because it's about the Commandant's family. There's a lot of conversations he has with uh, other high-ranking Nazi members about, you know, they're just... It, it, so I am I'm in a position at my job where I'm starting to be involved in discussions with management about how to run operations and things like that and how to better improve things like productivity and things like that. Mm-hmm. And to see the Nazis have these conversations about how to improve like productivity in the camps and make things more efficient and to, like to compare those conversations with the conversations have at work and like tonal wise and like how they're having these conversations wise, they're so similar because they're, they're so complacent in what's happening. It's so real, like normal to them is right. appalling to me. Like it's shocking and horrifying. It is, it is the, the horror of the movie to me is that, it is a character drama of this family living outside of Auschwitz and they have like their own dilemmas involved in their lives, of course, but it just seems so normal that there are so such atrocities happening so close to them and that they just don't care. That's horrifying to me. It's mm-hmm. absolutely appalling. And like the, the sounds that you hear, just everything that Jonathan Glazer did thematically wise and like beyond the normal storytelling is just, so it's also shot really really well it looks gorgeous nice it the did, way that uh, it's shot is bizarre best oscar nomination for sound mm-hmm. you see that so definitely whatever the Dude, soundscape that they got going on but not for it's cinematography a, it's horrible here that had great it should have gotten a cinematography nomination too because the way it's shot is very bizarre it's very still it's a lot like poor things almost it's very wide angle shots mm. Like almost, almost uh, fisheye, close to as like poor things was fisheye, and this was as close as you can get to fisheye without being fisheye. Gotcha. And it was it was very static shots of just wide static shots that would just cut between each other, and it's a little jarring. It's almost like you're looking at it through security camera feeds, mm. like like you're surveilling them. And it's very bizarre how it's shot, but it's it is haunting. 
and it definitely moved me in the theater last night. Like I was shaken by the end of it. It was very, very much disturbing. The ending too. Again, to be in my top ten list, you got to stick that landing. American Fiction sticks that landing really well, which is why I was iffy a little bit watching it about whether it would make the top ten. But the ending, like the last thirty minutes of it, sticks it so hard. I was like, it's got to be in there. It's fantastic. And the zone of interest, the ending for it, I don't even know. Like coming up with that ending is so genius. It's so perfect. Like mm-hmm. the the it, it hits the nail on the head of like the awareness that these people had of what they were doing and like the legacy that it would lead and that they still did it anyway. Like that, that is perfect to me. It, the way that it ends is perfect. My number three movie is poor things. Hey, there we go. It got up there. (laughs) Uh, you know me, big Lorgos, Yorgos Lanthimos fan. I can't help it. The favorite was my favorite movie of that year. Absolutely. That was, the, that was the last movie he made up until now. I was really hoping that this one would take the top spot. I was really looking forward to it. I thought it might. It was very, very close. I love this movie. Emma Stone is incredible in this movie. It, it's easily her best performance and might be my favorite performance of like the last 10 years. She's absolutely stellar in it. She 100% deserves to win an Oscar. She carries the movie. And to me, it is... It is the best you could do with a Frankenstein story. Like you cannot make a better Frankenstein story than this. Having yeah. read the the original Frankenstein book and like seeing the seeing the cartoonish horror movies where he's just a like a zombie character walking around, <laughs> like that's fun and all. But when you read the book, what is so I didn't like the book that much. I'll be honest, but I love it. I think it is great. I think I need to give it a shot because I like I like the idea of it. I like where it goes with the story. I just. Got really fucking bored, like in the middle of it. Oh, I think no. I think maybe I need to give it another shot because I love parts of it, but the whole thing was like this is kind of dreadful. I think it's because I was forced to read it for a class, and I never liked being forced to read. Mm. But there were parts of it that I really like, and one of the things that stuck to me that no other Frankenstein story had done in like movies is that Frankenstein becomes a fully developed human being by the end of it, like a very intelligent, developed person. Like the the surgery is exactly, successful, yeah. he, he grows from it and he changes as the story goes on. And he learns so much of the world as it as he goes through the story which is so fascinating because in the other movie iterations he's just a dumb lug throughout the whole yeah and he's just a monster yeah yeah except for young frankenstein by the end of young frankenstein he's smart too which is very funny but um this movie just does it so well like watching those transitions for her as a character is incredible watching her learn more and more about herself her being initially just so enamored with pleasure of of food and of of sex and of so many different things and then to become like acknowledge the horrors of the world and what that could do to a person and like what that does to society and how privileged she is in the position that she's in and want to to help those in need and then to go from there to being a person in need who is poor and has nothing and then becoming self-sufficient because of it and learning from that self-sufficiency of what she can do as a person with a body and then to go from there and to to want to live her life with Rami Yusuf's character and then have that husband get reintroduced. And so she has to discover her past and to look back upon who she was as a person or who this body was as a person beforehand. And to learn more about that, to learn more about like the cruelty of those that are so close to you, that could be so close to you. And then to shoot that guy in the foot is really fucking funny. <laughs> what a, and then turn him into a chicken. That's hilarious. Oh my a God. Chicken? Wasn't it a goat? Oh, it was a goat. You're right. I'm thinking of the chicken with the dog head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, was funny, yeah, funny. seeing all those random anime, uh, animal yeah. combinations. Yeah. I thought the whole thing was so great. I thought it was really funny. 
I thought Willem Dafoe's character is really funny. Like the bluntness with which he speaks to Rami Yusuf's character. Dude, is really just really called funny. God. Like Godwin is yeah. his name, but he's referred to as God. God. That's Great perfect. Stuff. What's the scene? It's the scene where um, Rami Yusuf asks him if he had ever considered like betting Bella or like like wanting to be with her. And God, he says something. <laughs> says something so funny. Uh, he, he talks about like uh, he he like sp- he spends a long time talking about his paternal feelings to her and how like strong those are and how he would never do anything because of it. And then he also goes, "I also can't fuck her. I don't. I don't have a dick. I'm a eunuch. Yeah, I'm a eunuch. <laughs> I've got nothing down there. I couldn't. I couldn't even if I wanted to. Couldn't fuck her." And he goes, and that really sucks. <laughs> it's just funny. That was the so whole good. that whole little subplot too of like him being essentially a ongoing science experiment for yeah. for his father, who would just continually yeah. just do whatever he wanted to do him. Um, again, it's like it's played for laughs, I mean, but it has yeah. that like very sad undertones to it. Yeah, like this but then one of the post characters is like, he did it for science. Like I understand. Yeah, he was like, like, yeah, it was for science. And so he's doing that to Bella now in yeah. a way. Um, but then he is able to, you know, overcome that he, where he does truly care for Bella yeah. and they do have a nice tender moment at the end when he's like on his deathbed. So yeah, I did like that little subplot to it as well. I thought it was really touching. Yeah. I love when Rami Yusuf is trying to convince Emma Stone not to leave to go with Mark Ruffalo and then she chloroforms him. And <laughs> then good. Willem Dafoe walks into the room and he's, he's like supportive. He's like, I will let you go. And he like slips money into her cushions and sews it in. And he's like, good luck out there. And Rami Yusuf wakes up and he goes outside at Wom Defoe. He also got chloroformed, which he just he was fully supportive of her leaving. She just did it to do it. I think that's really funny. He's just like on the ground and he's unconscious. Mm-hmm. There's just so many good bits. It's just so funny. When she gets up and she's like, I have to punch that baby. And she goes Dude, to punch the baby. That is so funny. <laughs> she's like continually looking over at the baby, like getting more pose. And it's like, all right, I got to go punch the baby. And just her, the way she's got her fist all ready to go to smack that thing very it's fun. so good there's so much humor in this movie the and it's just so delightful to watch it was very delightful yeah. and they like start a fight with the one guy <laughs> even though it's like a perfectly normal pleasant conversation mark ruffalo just thinks something else is going on and gets yeah. involved um yeah great stuff great stuff all right so number that's two now for you going to my number two so i was able to catch this little film that is heavily underrated, at least in terms of like the awards conversation, all that. I thought it would have been having a much stronger presence there, but it did not, which I'm very sad to see because I loved it. Thought it was incredible. Glad I was able to go and catch it when it had its short little stint in theaters a month or two back. It is Monster. Oh, I, you got to see Monster? Yes, sir. I wanted to see Monster so bad. Dude, I God damn loved you. it. I loved it. So it won. You didn't uh, tell me it was in theaters. God damn. It won Best Writing for at the Palm. Well, at the I guess not the Palm Door, but at the Canton of Sizzle. So I don't know what exactly they call that. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Best Writing Award. It received that. Written by Yuji Sakamoto and directed by Hirokazu Koreeda, who you may know from, you know, Shoplifters. So... Mm-hmm. And this is my first creative film, and I am definitely going to go seek out all his other films because this is amazing, truly amazing. It's yeah. a perspective shift story. So it, the initial sort of incident that we're trying to look at is a teacher who is possibly physically abusing a student. Something's definitely going on there, and the mother is concerned about it, and so she tries to get involved 
in the school system and get to the bottom of what's happening. But of course, the film has many, many more layers beyond that. But that's sort of the entry point. And then you know that you're going to see like these same events from different sides of that story and trying to get to the bottom of what's going on there. But the film, like coming back to its title, does a brilliant job of showcasing how a limited set of facts and information and a biased perspective can truly make anyone out to be a monster. Like you don't know what's going on in anybody's life. You don't know what they're dealing with internally or what's going on in their home life or their school life or all these different areas where they exist and like are a full person, but you don't see that side to them. You only see the side when you're interacting with them. Um, And so the limits to what we can know about a person and what's going on with them can warp our view and make us think that they are a monster or someone else in their life is a monster and doing these horrible things when in reality, it's just a lack of understanding on our part. And so that I think is the the best thing about this is Corrieta, um, like something Barry Sandler always says is like, you can't judge your characters. Like when you're writing them, you can't judge them. You have to try and understand them. Even if they're an awful person, again, Mm -hmm. like that is fine to do for a character. You just need to make them interesting and compelling and make us attached to them. Not necessarily like wanting to root for them, but wanting to understand them. Corrieta and, you know, Sakamoto, the writer here, but Corrieta definitely through his direction, it's so empathetic. Like it's so geared towards trying to understand who these people are. And we see like continually as the different sides of the story come through, we get to see these like truly ugly little moments and selfish little moments, but they're not like overblown. They're not unrealistic. Like it feels very grounded, Um, but we're able to see those moments and they're not immediately cast aside as an awful person. Um, It's all geared towards trying to get to a better, closer understanding of what's going on and why this person is operating this way. Um, And I think that's just beautiful. Like it's so well done. Again, so empathetic. This thing played me like a fiddle. Like Mm -hmm. it does do uh, those perspective shifts. And so, you know, you're like, okay, what I'm seeing here is not the full story. I'm going to get to see the other person's perspective and learn a little bit more. But (laughs) the way that they were able to showcase just enough of the information or so just enough of um, a new element in the timeline, which is another thing I like is we never really see the same scene again from another person's perspective, but we might see the scene like right before it, right afterwards, so that we get the little puzzle pieces. And at the end, we sort of get like the full picture, but in each timeline, we only get certain pieces and they're never the same piece mm-hmm. of another one, which I thought was yeah. another brilliant way to do it. But each time we got a new perspective and they try and frame like a new person as the quote unquote monster, I was like, oh, like that is what it is. That is how it probably went down. And that person is, you know, sort of the, the culprit or the one to blame. Um, and I got floored a couple of times because of that. And it was just, it was great to see, which I don't know, again, partly it is because of how brilliantly constructed the story is and how wonderful the direction is and all the performances, or if just going to the theater that day, I was like really ready to just get myself over to it. But yeah, like any new time they're like, oh, it's this person or, oh, you gotta rethink your view on this person. I did it. And then I got floored later on when they once again tweaked the perspective and showed us, showed us somebody in a new light. I'm so mad. I wanted to see the movie it, so it bad. Is, it's great. It's so great. There's a part of the film too that goes into such a heartwarming register where it's like a slice of life and it's so delightful. 
but also foreboding because again, you know where you are in the timeline and you know what's coming. And so you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and trying to figure out like how exactly it goes down. Um, but I've just thought, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful film. Like in the beginning I go in, you know, me, I always like to, to know things, get to the bottom of stuff, like with mysteries, I want to know what happened. So in the beginning I go into the film, I just want to know what happens, like what was going down with that, uh, with the teacher and the student. And by the end, I just wanted everything to be okay. Like I grew so attached to some of the characters in this film uh, and I just wanted everyone to be happy. So yeah, like truly strong emotional experience throughout the film. Damn. Lovely. And it, the crazy. sense of discovery too, as you're like going through it um, and getting to see those layers unfold is magical. Mm-hmm. So I definitely recommend it. I don't know if it'll be back in theaters um, or I'll have to stream it. Hit streaming. I'll probably have to stream it. But Damn. it definitely should have been like something that was at critics awards and Oscars and things like that. Like it is so well deserving of all of that. So yeah. Monster. You know, it's supposed to be coming out in the, I saw a trailer for this last night before zone of interest. I want to say there's a, uh, the, they're releasing in theaters. It's perfect days by Wim Wenders. It's coming oh, yeah. out in theaters at the beginning of February. I'm really excited to see that. I'm gonna have to find a theater that's showing it for sure. That's high up on my list of movies that game. came out last year that I wanted to see. I'm so mad. I wanted to see Monster so bad. God damn it. Dude, it was so on my list. It. it was so on bad. my list of movies I wanted to see. God. I think Fernando had told me about it before I moved out. Gotcha. God. What a bummer. All right. What, what is doing? your number two? My number two is Anatomy of a Fall. Wow. What the heck? What is your number one going to be? I'm not telling you. I'm Dude, Anatomy of a Fall was just... There's so many movies out there where they're focusing so much on like character journeys and and lessons and morality and things like that that sometimes they focus too heavily on that and I might get a little bored and I'm not as stimulated as much but when it comes to just good courtroom drama you can't do anything better than Anatomy of Fall I mean every every second of this movie I'm my eyeballs are glued to the screen I'm purely entertained by what is happening with with both sides of the story did she do it did she not do it it's just you to me you cannot beat like the only thing better than an excellently written core drama is an excellently written core drama that does have character driven aspects to it, like a few good men. And that of a fall has a little bit of character development, but it's mostly focused on just did she do it or did she not do it? And just written really, really well. Innocent till proven guilty. Is she a murderer? Is she a scorned wife whose husband killed herself? You have no idea. You're just listening to both sides and you make a decision for yourself about whether you think she did or not. It's just so excellent and so wildly entertaining. I was I was blown away by how enjoyable this movie was. And 50 Cent's PIMP playing in it. Oh my God, dude. Talk about a <laughs> banger right there. Talk about an absolute bop. Even the, just the instrumental, dude. It's just so good. So true. <laughs> I was just thoroughly entertained the whole time. The uh, great performances, of course, Sandra Huller is amazing in this movie and the zone of interest like if emma stone had not done poor things this year i would have been gunning for sandra huller to win an oscar if only emma stone hadn't delivered like the best performance of 10 in the last 10 years i would be gunning for sandra huller because she was fantastic in this movie absolutely phenomenal so true yeah i i want to guess what your number one movie is because i got a very you can guess i mean you know what it is it's past lives obviously past Past lives. lives My number one film of 2023. I mean, we had a whole episode dedicated to it. 
um, which was a very extensive podcast episode. The crazy thing was we didn't even get to talk about everything that I want to talk about in that film, in that episode. So that uh, just goes to show, I mean, the best thing that a film can do for you is leave you with a whole bunch of amazing imagery to recall, emotions to unpack, ideas to think through. This mm-hmm. film had that in spades. It offered all of that. We were able to have definitely one of the best like discussions around a film, not just like the film itself, but then what the film is looking at and analyzing. We were able to reflect on our own lives from that, um, which I think is very powerful if the film was able to get you to do that. What would you do in this situation? How would you go yeah. about this? All I should re-listen is, to that episode. That was a was great. It was a very tense episode we had in person. It was one of the very few we've ever recorded in person. It's true, yeah. By demand, by by popular demand at my request. <laughs> and uh, it definitely, it was a nice, fun conversation. I mean, I enjoyed a little debate there. I don't think I heated, heated, but it was, it was we were getting passionate about certain For past things. lives? Yeah. Yeah, no, we didn't. No, it wasn't when heated, I think it, but it was. When it was I think of you and I getting heated, I think about... I the think flash. about our our the flash debate, and then I think about the argument over the the draft. Those are us getting heated, or yeah, or the argument we had at Sue's High over the show. Those are our heated arguments. Or fast Lives was just passionate, you know. Two year anniversary of our it was a best of the year episode where we had the huge blow up argument afterwards. Oh um, right, which led to the Sue's High thing. It was also Bento. Um, you're right. You're right. That. you're right. You're right. It was Bento. But yeah, this one was impassioned. It was just us thinking through of like, oh, like, how would you do about this situation? Presenting hypotheticals to each other. And so I loved that. That was that was very fun. Those hypotheticals but, got a little out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the the actual film itself and the experience of that was beautiful. Again, these concepts of Inyun were amazing. And just this, as you were pointing out, like it's a very grounded, understated film. Just dealing with people that are honestly, very mature, um, confronted with an awkward, uncomfortable situation, and they're just trying to navigate it in the best way. Um, And so I thought that was just a beautiful approach to this story. It could have been a much more, I don't know, like, sleazy version of it or like gossipy type of thing. But they went into it of like, just imagine of being confronted with this crazy circumstance and how would you go about that? How would you navigate it with, you know, the husband that you're currently living with that, you know, you've spent what it was like 12 years, I believe, because they sort of broke it up in the 12 year span. So they'd been together, at least known for each other for 12 years, but then this childhood um, friends, but then a love interest that, you know, later down the line, when you did reconnect over the internet through Facebook, and then you're having all these zoom calls with each other, um, I guess not Zoom at that point in time, but you know what I mean? Skype, that was what it was. What a throwback mm-hmm. of when Skype is a period piece thing now. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> and so they're having those conversations, they're having that connection online, uh, but the pain of not being able to actually be there and fully commit, but then still wanting to like be in each other's lives. And so she has to sort of cut that off at a certain point. And then I don't know where he's able to come back into her life in person and they have to deal with that of he's now no longer in a relationship. She obviously still is. He's clearly hoping that something might happen there. He was hoping when he went to see her that she wouldn't be tied up uh, in a relationship. And they get to sort of reconnect 
explore how each other's lives have gone. And there's that chemistry that's there, which never went away and just only burns even more uh, as they come back into each other's lives and they have to figure out what is the best thing at this point in time. Like, do we indulge in this big what if, like upend the lives that we built so far? Um, Or do we stick with where we're at now, find a way to just be comfortable with it and live with it, and then close the door on what could have been? And so again, it's just a very simple human story um, that is told beautifully. You, of course, have been seeing the praises of the cinematography. Like that is amazing. And again, it's not like crazy flashy stuff. Um, it's not overly it's so stylistic soft. or anything, but it's just, it's so... It's so delicate. Exactly. It's beautifully uh, matching the the story itself. Like it's complementary to it, which is amazing. And then there are some incredibly striking imagery in there as well. I mean, it's capturing these feelings of like longing and this romance. Um, and so it's able to convey that. The stuff that we weren't able to talk about in the podcast that I, I wanted to was the bedroom conversation that they had where he's bringing up the, the husband character is bringing up the language barrier between them of like he, the other guy is able to have a connection with her that he's just never going to be able to have. And she dreams in a language separate from the one that he dreams in. And so there's a so cool. Such a good line. I dream in a language you don't understand is such a good line. Exactly that, like he's just not able to go like areas of her he'll never be able to understand or fully uh, comprehend. And so that you know is obviously a point of insecurity for him, um, but also just that sort of view on love of like wanting to be able to know every part of a person and being able to connect with them, but you know you can't. Like there are these certain places that just truly you're not going to be able to meet them on. Um, and then him also feeling like, oh, you've, you've made my world so much bigger. I wonder if I'm doing the same for you. Like those conversations that they were having, I thought were great. Um, we did kind of touch on this, but I thought it was another, uh, worthwhile thing to mention here of, again, we could have gone in such a like overly dramatic, melodramatic direction with it of he's getting super jealous and trying to do whatever he can to prevent them from meeting up with each other and stuff like that. But it doesn't happen. Like he's very understanding and empathetic. And even though it would make sense, it'd be kind of logical, it would be human for him to act out on jealousy or possessiveness or bitterness. He doesn't. And again, he tries to be empathetic and mature about the whole thing, but he's clearly uncomfortable with it. Uh, And so I just thought that the way they navigated that with each other was great. Um, The performances, again, it's all like very subtle and understated, but so powerful and impactful they feel like real people wrestling with this again just very grounded human dilemma um and then that ending i mean that's the thing that pulls it all together yeah if it works for you then like the whole film unlocks and it all works and it's all building up to a sensational endpoint. um but if that doesn't then you know i can see how people are like oh it didn't really you know vibe or connect with me but for me it absolutely did as we talked about i mean i just couldn't believe how much it struck me at that point in time like on the verge of tears for sure a brilliant you know display of direction and performance the way they're tracking left they're tracking you know frame left the two of them moving into the past right since he is uh you know that vestige of her past 
and then they say their final goodbyes. You see that like subtle lean in uh, where she is like maybe wondering if he's going to go for the kiss or she's going to go for the kiss. Like the tension there was incredible. Um, and then that like final thing they have of him saying, what if this is already one of our past lives? What would it be in our next life? So good. I mean, that was the like, I would do laundry and taxes with you. I'd be happy to yeah. do that from everything everywhere. I mean, this was that line here of mm -hmm. like, just knowing in another life, like in different circumstances, they would have been perfect for each other. But this isn't that life. Things didn't go that way. And so they have to bid farewell here. And she has to close that chapter on him. And it's so moving, so emotional. And then as she's walking back, again, tracking to the right of frame, moving forward in time, back to the present. And she just breaks down and starts bawling. Greta Lee, fantastic performance here. I mean, it's just the overwhelming release of emotion there was amazing. Again, it's the thing that got me so on the verge of tears, had a huge lump in my throat. So brutal to see that. Um, and then, you know, she goes back and he's waiting there on the steps and they, they mm -hmm. embrace. It's just so beautiful, so human. Um, truly love it. Like I had said in my uh, my review for it um, on Letterboxd, it achieves the full breadth of cinematic possibility in a small, simple story about one woman and two soulmates. It is just simply sensational. My number one film of the year, Past Lives. That was a good, uh, that was a good description, Ryan. You did a good job encapsulating that. Thank you, thank you. I'm going to give you one, one shot, one opportunity to guess <laughs> what my number one film is. What do you think it is? I am a bit clueless here because, as we know historically, you tend to go for the uh, the foreign East Asian films, but I don't know that <sighs> there we've even been able to see like any of the ones that have come out. You didn't see Monster, um, so well, can you? I will. I will give you the hint that it's it's not a tradition. It's not. It's historically, a, this, this is not. Asian. This is <laughs> not a film. historical like historically in these in these top movies. This is not one that genre wise would have fit here. Right, genre wise, interesting. Yeah, I don't know because you and I don't I think like you know. I don't think you know that I've seen it, which is I why I didn't want. I didn't want to do the missed out the movies we missed yet because I didn't want it to spoil the fact that I'd seen it because I want you to I want to make it harder for you to guess. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like any movie that you would have seen that would be in contention for it. The only one I can think of, but this could go either way. I feel like you could hate it or love it. Um, Maestro. Fuck no. Bad okay. guess. Dude, Maestro was garbage. Close though. You were very close. Maestro. Maestro was not good. I did watch Maestro. <laughs> I did not like it that much. See, that's my one number one could go either way. I don't know what it could possibly be. My number one movie is The Holdovers. Oh snap. Yeah, I forgot. I totally Yeah. My uh number nine was on there. And then yeah. you your number one. Wow, yeah, you were you had a poker face too while I was talking about movie. that. Absolutely. That's fascinating. I was hoping you wouldn't ask if I had seen it yet because I, I wasn't going to lie or anything. Because I would, if I lied, it would just it would be impossible for you to guess. But you didn't That's say anything. Crazy. So I, I did not think on. that would overtake Anatomy of a Fall. Yeah. Wow. It was. There were only a few movies this year that like emotionally moved me. Past Lives was one of them. Uh, the Zone of Interest was one of them, and The Holdovers definitely. Like I think I just watched it at like the perfect time. I watched it at the perfect time. It was um, 
it was winter break winter break i mean i i have a full-time job i don't get a winter break but it was it was in the holiday time yeah. period and uh i watched it when did i watch it on christmas eve it might have been like on christmas eve if not the day before christmas eve but around that time i was working a lot of early mornings and so i wasn't able to go to any holiday events with my family because i was working so early at, so i was home alone on christmas eve and christmas day and it was very it was very sad for me to to be in that position and watching this movie where it is these people who are stuck in a place they don't want to be at the holidays and being very upset about it being very lonely and then finding that found family within each other it it moved me very great like i watched it that day and then like less than a week later i watched it again because i thought it was so it was on peacock wow yeah it is it is similar to what I was talking about with American fiction and with past lives, where it is just such a simple, like postmodern kind of story where you are just watching these characters go about their lives. There's no meta commentary. There is no strange out of world applications to it. It is simply these characters are existing in this real world that we exist in at the same time and going about their lives. And we are connecting with them on that level. And it is written so tremendously well that I could connect with every single character on that screen and feel what they were feeling. The performances were fantastic. And Alexander Payne took what was already a good story and what was already good characters and what was already good actors. And he put them together in this movie that was shot. I don't even know how they made it look this good. It was shot digital. And then every, mm. everything about it that made it look like it was on film shot from the seventies was added in post-production completely made it look extraordinary the opening sequence the the thing that convinced me that i was going to love this movie was the opening credit sequence of just <coughs> the the shots of the town blanketed with snow and like yes, the it was the gorgeous. one the one particular shot of the waterfall and the water falling something about it the motion that the water has it gives me this feeling of like like a 16 mil like there are moments where there is like fast motion like when he bangs on the table and the fork flies up or like the cars moving where there is fast motion, but because of what they did do in post-production, it gives this feeling of like an almost old style of 35 millimeter, what we would recognize as like these days, because film quality has gotten so much better. What 16 millimeter kind of looks like nowadays, that sort of like grainy sort of blurry sort of motion to things. But that waterfall is just shot gorgeously. And it just, it encapsulates like the feeling of what the story is going to be like in like a minute and a half of just shots of the town with like credits. And also, you know me, you know, I love older movies. I love the feeling of watching an old movie and things like that. And so to, to have that sort of nostalgia of a, a different era of filmmaking done so well in 2023 was just absolutely delightful to be a part of. But the, the journey that the characters go on particularly because it is funny when they're arguing in the car, it's very funny Mm -hmm. There's a lot of good, funny moments in it that made me laugh. So it is engaging in that way. But the the emotional journey that they go on, particularly like you said, when they go to Boston, I mean, it is it is like painfully good to watch. Like it is so heartbreaking what uh, the Tully kid is going through with his family. Like that that is what brought me to tears both times that I watched it was was mm -hmm. watching those scenes with his father in the in the hospital and then him talking about it afterward what a what a fantastic performance and uh 
everything with Paul Giamatti's character lying about his past and, and being uppity on the high horse the whole time until like his his reality of how sad his empathetic his life is is sort of brought to the forefront. And so he just decides to live the best life he can. Everything to do with uh, Devine Joy Randolph's character, who is phenomenal in this movie, and she will and should absolutely win an Academy Award. Uh, everything to do with her character just, just being so fully present in every scene and so so fully stricken with grief in a way that is realistic and and trying to move on with that life with, with, with it being so hard to let go for her. I mean, it's just this movie's so full of of the parts of life that I love the the parts of life that I, I that keep me going of like finding connection and finding people to be with in times of great loneliness. Like I think it's just so gorgeous in that regard to, to find meaning in that. And it just, it moved me so greatly. I almost watched it again last night before I went to bed, but it was, I'd already watched three movies yesterday. I was tired. I went to bed, (laughs) but it's just so, so wildly entertaining and moving. It, It is, as soon as I watched it, I was like, that is the best movie I've seen this year so far. I had not seen Poor Things or uh, Zone of Interest or American Fiction or most of the movies that had come out at that point. And most of the Best Picture nominees at that point because I had just seen it around Christmas break and then I was catching up on them all in the past weeks. And just nothing, nothing overtook it in terms of like how I was emotionally affected and how attached I was to the characters. I was so in love with the characters and their journeys in this movie. I was so attached to what they were going through. And I wanted, like you said about monster, I just wanted them to be happy at the end. And they were, they I all, know, found, yeah. so they all found such good peace. I love the end when he's driving away and he just takes a, sw- a swig of the, the whiskey that the guy had gotten, like the fancy whiskey that he <laughs> <Yeah>. pulled, <laughs> just spits it on the ground and dries off. It's such a good ending. It is great. And that handshake right before then. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so touching. Beautiful. I think, I think Killian Murphy, did an incredible job in Oppenheimer. I think he carried the weight of that movie and he's incredible. And it was an amazing performance. But deep down, I really want Paul Giamatti to win. Wow. <laughs> I really do. I, it's close because he won the Critics' Choice Award. It's close. It's true. Yeah, it's definitely for sure. I wouldn't I'd be, be happy with either one of them winning. Yeah, they're both, they're like, both just such good performances. They're both great performances. Wow, that's our that's our top ten list. Any any snubs you see? Neither of us said Killers of the Flower Moon, which is really sad. Or Oppenheimer. Or Oppenheimer. I, was, I was wondering. Really sad. I, so until you said it was one that you didn't know if I'd seen, I was wondering if you had like rewatched Oppenheimer or something, and maybe that snuck no, it back up. That was not. That wasn't even an honorable mention, man. I it was wasn't really an honorable mention. That's what I said. My asterisk mentions are Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon because I appreciate a lot of what they're doing. And again, I've only seen them once. I think each of them might benefit from a rewatch. I agree with you, yes. I just didn't, because uh, I was just trying to see all the new films as well. I didn't have the time to carve out for watching the uh, rewatching yeah. them again. So who knows, maybe in the future, you know, they might rise again. But yeah, we, we had podcasts, episodes dedicated to each of them that talked about our, our feelings there and our sort of disappointments or at least just muted you know, response to it compared to yeah. all the praises getting elsewhere. But I mean, yeah, definitely incredible achievements in filmmaking. I mean, they are masters of their craft for sure. So it's it's hard to argue against them being impressive. But did it have the emotional resonance that, you know, a lot of the films on our list had? Like, I think that was the key for, you know, Past Lives for Me and Holdovers for You of what set them yeah. apart as like the number one of the year is it was the ones that gave us the strongest emotional reaction. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
Um, you want to recount your top 10 and I'll recount, recount mine. I think we had four yes. um, similarities across our list. Yeah, I think so too. My my top 10 was Dream Scenario, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, The Boy and the Heron, American Fiction, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Past Lives, The Zone of Interest, Poor Things, Anatomy of a Fall, and The Holdovers. Gotcha. Mine was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Holdovers, Blackberry, Asteroid City, Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, Barbie, Monster, and Past Lives. So the blind spots, I wasn't able to see American Fiction Mm -hmm. or Zone of Interest. Both of those, I think, would have good... Uh, a good chance to get on there. I think especially American yeah. fiction. Um, and then origin was another one, the one from Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. that I had my eyes on, but it just came out too late uh, yep. in the, in the year. I mean, it came out in January and uh, I think it might already mm-hmm. be out of theaters at the moment or maybe never even came to, I think it's still theaters. there. Yeah. Hopefully I can go try and catch it. I know American fiction is still in there and definitely with the best picture stuff, it should be extended so yeah I'm go all the best that. picture all the best picture movies are currently in theaters right now it's just different theaters like some theaters are showing like four of them some theaters showing five there you have to figure out which theaters are showing which ones but they're out there yeah what were your uh blind spots of the ones that i that might have made the top 10 list uh may december i didn't see fallen leaves oh, i yeah. didn't see which i really wanted to see it was in theaters and i almost went but i just missed it there or no it wasn't in yeah it wasn't theaters briefly and then it was gone. Wait, no. Maybe. I think it was kind of in theaters for like a week or two, but it's mostly, it's a movie release. So I have to wait for it to go on movie and then oh, yeah. get a free trial for movie and then watch it there, which I, is a, a name that I hate. I hate that it's called movie. It just sounds like I'm mispronouncing movie. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, the Iron Claw, I didn't see. And <laughs> Blackberry and uh, Godzilla Minus One are movies that I also did not see. That I would have wanted to see. Those, yeah. Uh, so our crossovers, we have four of them. We had, uh, holdovers, past lives. Each of those, one of them was a number one on mm-hmm. our lists. And then anatomy of a fall and poor things. Those are both top five for both of us, right? Or was and anatomy of a fall lower? Anatomy was my six. So, I mean, okay. really close. close to getting in there. Yeah. So there we go. Those are the, how many, how many of the best picture nominees did you have in your top 10? I had... Uh, one, two, three, four, five. I had six of them, which kind of makes me because yeah, American you had fiction. Zone of Interest. Um, in Zone of Interest, yeah. In American Fiction, yeah. And I had yeah, Barbie, Barbie. whereas you didn't. So, yeah. So I, had I was five, a little upset. Had... I, I I was like, six of my ten are Best Picture nominees. Am I not watching the small movies anymore? Am I not out there finding the hidden gems? And then or, you said Monster was your number two, and I was like, God damn. And then my other thought was, or maybe the Best Picture nominees are really good this year. Which That's, is also correct. The, the Oscars are getting better at putting like the smaller films like Past Lives yeah, the, in there. So, yeah. yeah. The the nominees this year are all really good. I do think I did miss out on some small movies though. Like I didn't see Monster. I didn't see Fallen Leaves. I didn't see a lot of international movies like I wanted to. It's hard to see them though. Man, a couple of indie films. Tough. They're hard to find. They're hard to find. Yeah. Maybe I'll watch. I will watch Monster and Fallen Leaves eventually, but it'll just take me a while to find them. Indeed. I can't believe I thought my number one was Maestro. That's crazy. Well, I was trying to think. I was like, what could it possibly be? And the, yeah, because I had already said Holdover, so I guess that just left my mind. Because I was thinking, I was like, what are the best picture ones that are, like, available that we haven't talked about yet? And because I mentioned Holdovers, I 
I leaped over that one and was like, what's the remaining one? Oh, Maestro. But yeah, I was like, there's like, I don't, it'd be a huge curveball. But I was like, I feel like that's one he wouldn't respond to that much. Yeah, no, I did um, not like Maestro. Yeah, Holdovers. It makes sense, though, because you did, you laughed when I brought up the car sequence in uh, Holdovers when they're like arguing in the car. I did laugh. And it's so funny. In my head, I didn't, it didn't like fully register, but I was like, oh, I didn't man, think you were going to have to go wash your hands. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> of course, you meant it metaphorically. What are you going to do? Wash your hands? They got God, it's so, so good. good. <laughs> it's really, really funny. Paul Giamatti's so good in that movie. They all are, all three of them. Fantastic. Really, yeah. What a great. Like again, just three hander, great little trio there. Yeah. Um. There we go. So 2023 in the can. In the can, gone forever, never to be seen again. <laughs> that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us. <coughs> Fuck. That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at the box office show pod at gmail.com. Our main title theme the <coughs> show is Sundown by Joseph McDay. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever <laughs> podcast that you're listening to, and be sure to tune in next week. Have a great rest of your day.